Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Character and Smallman podcast powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. everyone. Happy Friday and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle is on vacation. Randy Carriker, Chris Kerber, the voice of your St. Louis Blues, joining us for the next three hours here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to it, Mr. Kerber. I always enjoy working with you. How you doing? Randy is your former intern. I'm here just to push paper and uh, help things along. Uh, you know I prefer to be known as Randy's former intern rather than Blues broadcaster and, and proud of that fact, as a matter of fact. Have you... Okay, so all the more... You you've done every shift. You're like you're like the manager at McDonald's that has mm-hmm. had to open the store, close the store, you know, work all the specials and things like that over your career. But now that you've done mornings long enough, um, is there ever a morning where you come in and you figure out and you go to start the show and you go good morning and you don't want to like and you just don't feel like you're Adrian Cronauer? There are and mornings. how you open hey, up that show after that ten one loss the other day? Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, said that. How do you open the you, show? You and wanna, say good morning and not yeah. feel like Adrian Cronauer and Good Morning <laughs> Vietnam. No, there are absolutely mornings like that. And by the time you get to two in the afternoon, it's it's easy to say, "Hey, how's everybody doing?" Because you've kind of forgotten. But yeah, if the last thing in your memory is a six one loss by the Blues. Say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Hey, it is We Went Blues weekend, and tomorrow We Went Blues Day here on 101 ESPN. And with the St. Louis Blues, the Blues and 101 ESPN celebrating the two-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup with, with We Went Blues Day tomorrow. The celebration will include a rebroadcast of Curbs and Joey's Call of Game 7 in Boston. That's at noon tomorrow. We Win Blues Day also offers merchandise deals, a game-worn jersey auction, a virtual champion's walk, limited edition paintings, and more. And you can visit 101ESPN.com for more details on We Went Blues Day on Saturday, June 12th. Man, and, and that, by the yeah. way... It also includes at 3 o'clock, and the best part is, is the way the planning worked is it didn't conflict with when the radio broadcast airs, right? At 3 o'clock on Bally Sports, they're replaying Game 7. But it's not just a replay of Game 7. It's the In Their Words production that Blue Note Productions did. So you'll see, if you watch the game, as a play is going on and it's a big play by Pareko, you'll see Colton Pareko pop up on the screen and talk you through what goes on during that play and what they thought of that play. So it's a really cool uh, rebroadcast of that, and that's at 3 o'clock on, on Bally Sports. And that is so well produced and so incredibly done. So that'll be fun to see tomorrow. And here tomorrow, we went Blues Day uh, around St. Louis on 101 ESPN as well. Last night, the Vegas Golden Knights advanced to the Final Four 
They've been around for four years, and this is their third time in the Final Four. It was 2-1 Vegas after a period. Then Colorado outscored Vegas 2-1 heading into the final minute of the second when a guy who we've seen score in a final minute before scored in the final minute of the second. Ghost with the puck. Now Devin. After the zone by the Golden Knights. Here's Tuck with a drive. Missed the net, and then Petrangelo scores! Six, three or four different times to get the puck out of the zone. Gerard had it. He turned it over. Ended up on the other side. And Alex Petrangelo buries it to the back of the net with under 18 seconds remaining here in the second period. Great teams in the playoffs are relentless. And Vegas was just relentless last night. They, so Pete DeBoer. Well, there's, there's a couple of things on this one. One, Pete DeBoer has a chance now to take his third different team to the Stanley Cup final. And he hasn't won yet. He's gone with New Jersey. He's gone with 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 San Jose. I still don't understand why San Jose let him go. But kudos to Las Vegas for making one of those kind of moves, fired a good coach, and brought somebody in to, to keep them going, right? I mean, that, that was not, an, I think, an easy decision. But I think, I think one, the... Alex Petrangelo is a great player. He's turned into the player. He was this with the Blues. He's turned into the player that Yarmo Kekalainen felt he was going to be before the Blues drafted him, and he told me that. He said this to me before the Blues drafted Alex Petrangelo. We're going to get the least ready defenseman in the draft in the top five there, but we're going to end up with the best one by the time it's all said and done. Now, he hasn't won the Norris like, like Drew Doughty did, but from an overall career standpoint, Alex Petrangelo may end up in the end there. So props to Alex because he was the difference maker in the last three games. But Pete DeBoer opened up that series with Robin Leonard yeah. and knew that Robin Leonard hadn't played in a while. But he knew going seven games against Minnesota that Fleury needed some rest. He put that in for the long haul. And I thought, and, and so Pete DeBoer ended up out coaching Jared Bednar in that series. And Boy, did Vegas go on a roll. 6-3 was the final. Petro scoring his first goal of the series on his team-high 46th shot. That's a bad average, I think. Uh, other than that, no, I mean, uh, you know what? Uh, sometimes they all go in, sometimes none of them go in, and you just continue to put yourself in a, a spot to score. You get the chances, get the looks that you want, and eventually, you know, things will turn. So, I mean, out of all the chances I had, I wouldn't have guessed that that's the bounce I would have got. So, um I've played a lot of hockey in my career, and I've learned to kind of stick through it and um, kind of trust the process, knowing that eventually things will turn because, you know, you go on streaks where you score a lot, and sometimes you don't. But important for me to continue throughout the game to uh, create opportunities whether I'm scoring or not. It's just a matter of creating the, uh, uh, the chances for our team. And Vegas coach Pete DeBoer was asked about the former Blue. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was the best player in the series on either team. Um, he was he was an absolute monster for us uh, defensively, blocking shots offensively. The goal tonight, um, you know that's that's uh, that's what we brought him here for for this time of year and and for those situations. Great defensemen can control the game even if they aren't scoring, and that's what Petro did. And they brought in a Stanley Cup champion. Yep, they brought in the guy that has gone through it when he did the interview post game with Brian Boucher when Alex Petrangelo did 
you, I mean, I'm watching it. I'm looking and I'm seeing his eyes, Randy. And you saw the same calm, cold, flatline demeanor that we saw from the entire Blues squad in 2019, where the ups and downs didn't matter. He's a guy that's going to lead them through that when they don't have a whole lot of experience otherwise. Now, I think we are at the point, too. And I know the expansion rules were different for when Vegas drafted. It'll be the same for, for Seattle this summer. Then when Minnesota, then when then Atlanta, uh, then when Columbus all came into the league, when Nashville came into the league, when previous expansion teams. What Las Vegas had to pick from is similar in some ways to what the 1967 six expansion teams got to pick from. The absolute best of the best when you're bringing in, you know, eight players to the St. Louis Blues that had Stanley Cup championships with Montreal, right? But Las Vegas has taken that team. They've managed it through a cap scenario for four years. They've traded some guys. They've re-signed some guys. I mean, and four... I mean, j- j- just simply put, three three out of four years, they've gone to the conference finals. Amazing. Right? Is is amazing. And probably, probably might have been the Blues opponent in 17, right? Or, I'm sorry, in 19, if if that brutal major call didn't happen That's that allowed the comeback from yeah. San Jose, right? So he could have been potentially four out of four. Uh, there's got to be some credit there, due because... Other established teams are not doing that. No. They, they, That's that, impressive. Petro said last night, I, I entered a place where they've already built a culture of winning, and that's what they expect, and ownership on down expects to win. And here they are playing Montreal in the Final Four. Curbs, the Cardinals are three games out as they start a weekend series against the Cubs. One twenty this afternoon in Chicago for the opener. Johan Oviedo against one of the Cardinal killers, Kyle Hendricks, who is Cy Young, Greg Maddox, Nolan Ryan, except he doesn't throw as hard as Nolan Ryan, all rolled into one against the Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals have had the ability to make a lot of pitchers look like that lately, haven't they? Um, You know, there's a collective approach, and I was at the game the other night when Adam Wainwright threw another gem. Uh, and and looked great, and then I just apparently fired up the Twitter world with common sense. So I, I uh, <laughs> saying that Wayno is there. He, he is. I, I yeah. you, you cannot argue that. No, like you cannot. You can try. When you do, you will show your level of ignorance. But you cannot argue the fact that Adam Wainwright, right now, from a healthy pitcher standpoint, is the ace of the staff. And uh, and and he's the guy that if you need a stopper game, if you need a go-to game, he's your guy right now because you can't have faith in any of the other guys. Um, man, there's a collective approach right now that that this baseball team needs, and you gotta hope you you will see. It's one thing to have a guy like Adam Wainwright go out there. Thank goodness he didn't give up the third run in the first inning. So keeping yeah. it too. Thank goodness you, know, you get a little bit of luck. You're playing you're playing a bullpen game against the Indians, right? So you, you come out and you make it happen, man. They, they they need a collective uh, a collective group going on all cylinders going into this series because I think the season could hinge on this series when you yeah. when you go in and not too long ago you're like okay we've got it's not a big lead but we're sitting on a three game lead and here it is just a few short weeks later it's a three game deficit this could be a season hinging three game set. Paul DeYoung will be available for the Cardinals this afternoon. John Nagoski optioned to Memphis yesterday. A couple of other notes in uh, the Women's World Series. Oklahoma knocked off Florida State 5-1, the fifth national championship for Oklahoma. 
and the Hart Trophy finalists were announced. Nathan McKinnon of Colorado, no surprise there. Austin Matthews of Toronto, no surprise there. Connor McDavid of Edmonton, no surprise there. Three great young players and the two best players in the game in McDavid and McKinnon. And Austin Matthews, obviously, is a superstar as well. That's If you're the NHL and at the beginning of a season you can pick your three Hart Trophy candidates, you pick those three. You, you do, and you really wish that Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid were playing in a United States market. Yeah, I, I, I really do. That Those two right now playing in Canadian markets uh, in the National Hockey League in terms of the games, uh, uh, the, the hype around those players and what is needed for the United States is akin to having Mike Trout and Shohei Otani playing for the Anaheim Angels. You know, it's it's where people right. aren't seeing them every night. They're, they're, they're you're not noticing them because they're playing, you know, in this spot. And yet, yet they're two great players. That you know, if if those two guys in Anaheim were somewhere on the East Coast, even in the middle yep. of the country, it might be a different story. Well, I feel that way about Matthews and McDavid. I'm with you, and especially Matthews because he's an American kid. Yes, and if he's playing in a major market in America, obviously Toronto is an awesome market. But if that's kind of like having Gretzky go to L.A. If he goes to the Kings, it's yeah. kind of like having Gretzky out there. Hey, not, uh, not the great player, but yes. he attracts everybody to Staples Center. Huge in, in every way, and, and you would see it more. You would see it more. By the way, we've got to be really excited. I personally am really excited to what we could potentially see with hockey coverage from Turner and TNT. And the reason being is, and, and we've talked about this a lot, for a long time now, I think the single best sports show, period, on television has been the Inside the NBA program. You're right. I don't watch a ton of NBA action until the postseason. It's just life's too busy, right? All right? I don't watch it, uh, a ton of it. But when that's on and I'm clicking around in the evening, I stop and I watch that show. I'm entertained by it and I learn from it. I They're taking that approach, it appears. When you're talking about Gretzky and some other guys that are coming, um, they're taking that approach, and I can't wait to see what they who, do with the game. Who can be Charles Barkley? Who, can, who Chris, could? Chris Pronger. That'd be great. He'd, okay. be, he'd be great for that. It's, it's sort of like when, when ESPN brought in Chris Chelios and Brett Hull mm-hmm. to sit at the desk for coverage of the World Cup a few years ago, it was must-see television, especially when the U.S. spit the bit. Right, I mean, and and those two guys unloaded on USA Hockey, uh, and I talked to somebody at ESPN a few weeks ago about that, and they they said the one thing we never knew what those guys were going to bring up and how mm-hmm. it was going to go, and it was great. The, the game could use that. So I, man, somebody like a somebody like a Chris Pronger, if he's going to be open and honest and comfortable, he's honest. to speak, and uh, he's. Listen, he's he's one of my favorite guys to interview, to, to hear from quote, to hear talk the game because he's, I mean, one of the smartest of defensemen mm-hmm. to ever play the game. So I, that that's a good call. You put you and because here's the thing: Do you realize that the St. Louis Blues, aside from Phil Esposito, who every now and then sits in and does color for Dave Mishkin on Tampa Bay Radio, okay? Phil Es or Bernie Futterkel, the St. Louis Blues have the only Hall of Fame analyst. Working in the game, is that right? Think wow. about this. Like, I, I if, if you watch, if you watch, there's no Hall of Famer that NBC is using, right? All this national coverage, and it's yeah. no Hall of Famer, right? I mean, it's it's good players. It's Patrick Sharp, maybe the best player that that, that they've had. Well, Jeremy Roenick until he got he got stupid and decided <laughs> to, you know, talk about threesomes and all. Okay, and then 
right? Uh, and then, and then look at even look at Hockey Night in Canada. Look at all the coverage that Rogers is doing. You know, it's Kevin Bieksa. Mm-hmm. It's this. Uh, you know, ESPN just brought Kevin Weeks over from NHL Network, right? And, and this, this is not so much a knock on Mike Rupp, but you're watching NHL Network, and it's Mike Rupp trying to tell you why Sidney Crosby's in a scoring slump. Sorry, that's not how that works. Like, you turn on the NFL Network, and it's nothing but Hall of Famers. Right. Turn right. on MLB Network, and you can see Cal Ripken. Right. Hockey hasn't had that. So not only did Turner start to look that direction, and I don't know how it'll work out, but it'll be definitely interesting to see. But they just not only that, they signed the Babe Ruth. Yeah, that's what you need. Right. It's huge. That's what you need. That's Curbs. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman. Michelle out on vacation. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Our peak and pit of the week coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Curbs and Randy on 101 ESPN. And don't forget about the poll at Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin because they're picking the most popular player in a town in America, Curbs. And right now, Yadi or Molina is going against Steph Curry. And Yadi is actually winning. And the thing is, the poll goes through tomorrow. So you need to hop on Twitter, and I've retweeted this. I'll retweet it again. Right now, Yadier Molina is leading Steph Curry 51.1% to 48.9%. And wow. what this is about is in your town, there's a restaurant and there's only one table available. Who gets it? And Michelle gave Yadi, Ryan O'Reilly, and who was the third that she gave? Uh, she had to leave Wayno out of it. I don't, do you remember, Emily, who the third was? It was Arenado. It was Yadi Arenado. I was going to say, I and, can't remember. Yeah, it Yadi Arenado. Or, or, yeah, it was Arenado. And uh, so, and Yadi so it, was, had to be, it had to be a current player. Right. And Yadi was her number one, a current sports person. And well, so, you would take, would you really take Arenado over a uh, over a Ryan O'Reilly? If, um, you're, if you're doing that? No, I, and, 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 if you're Ryan talking, was her number two. Oh, that was number Arenado two. was her number three. Gotcha. Okay. So, her number one, though, was Yachty, who's in the final four. I love it. On th- this poll. And so right now, Yachty going against Steph Curry, leading 51.1 to 48.9%. And we implore you to hop on your Twitter account, and I will retweet it. Let me uh, retweet it again right now. Okay, it's just been retweeted on my Twitter, at Randy Carricker. And just go and vote for Yachty. Uh, Cardinal Nation, you got to come up. And if he beats Steph Curry, it's pretty awesome. He's already beaten Giannis. That's and, and, and to me, and it's a no-brainer pick from a St. Louis standpoint, mm-hmm. and and it shows you it shows you the amazing power of the St. Louis Cardinals and just the fans across the country. Definitely, that's it. Because that's. Did you know that uh, I saw Ryan O'Reilly at, at the ball game the other mm-hmm. night? He, he was there with his wife Dana yeah. and their and their son uh, their son Jameson. Um, way to go, Jameson! He made it five innings. I mean, for a three year old, he made it five innings. That's that's impressive, right? And uh, Dana's dad, who lives outside of Toronto. Is a huge Cardinals fan. Oh, cool! And 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 has been his whole life because of listening to the game on the radio. Wow! Another one of those uh, Cardinal fans in Canada because of the radio. That's amazing. And yeah. how perfect that Ryan got traded that's, here. That's that's right. Yeah. All right, peak and pit curbs. My pit is easy. It was the Tuesday night loss 
to the Indians when the Cardinals lost their sixth in a row, 10 to 1. I was sorely disappointed that night. And my peak actually was the following day uh, because my buddies out at Fox Run, Dennis Biedenstein, their pro, Clayton McGowan, Dalton, they, they, there's a great group out there. And it's, it's a tough golf course. Yes, I played it. And I, I, I play it a lot. And I'm, But they've always I'm kept it in good. great shape, too. It's, it's, it's I like it, of magnificent. Yes, I it's like magnificent. that course a lot. If, yeah, if you're looking for a golf course to play, I, uh, check out Fox Run, and maybe we'll see each other out there. But anyway, I went out there, and I have not been playing well. I uh, went and got a lesson last week. And on the back nine, for me, this is really good. I shot a 43 on the back nine. So what I want to do is shoot an 86 at Fox Run. I want to do 43 on the front, 43 on the back, and I'll be a very, very happy camper. But I've never played that back nine as effectively. And I I could have shaved five shots off of that. It very easily could have been a 38 if I could, A, get my approach game going and get close to the pin and B just hit some putts. I easily, it, it easily could have been a 38. I would really like to be able to shoot in the eighties consistently. And, and my big problem is my golf game. <laughs> but, uh, I actually, no, I love, I, I love playing the game of golf. And the reason I got into playing it more, and this was now about 20 years ago, a group played on every Saturday morning when I got mm-hmm. first got to Springfield, Massachusetts. And, that kind of got me going more in it. I wish I'd been introduced to it a, a, a lot younger, right? But the the world of kids right now is kind of. I think I only played about four or five times all last summer and this year. I said, nah, I got to vow to 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 play more because I love doing it because it's you against yourself. And I know it's against the golf mm-hmm. course and all that, but it's you against hey. yourself. I had to stop playing things like indoor soccer and and some other sports because I'm totally cool. I'm fine until I get bumped. And then, like, as soon as, like, somebody puts a shoulder into you or something like that, I hit another <laughs> level of compete, and I'm like, I just didn't like, I, honest to God, this is honest to God's truth. I go, I don't like myself when that happens, because it, like, <laughs> I get, then I get too into I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm playing golf, so I can yep. just be mad at myself. Here's a story, uh, and Curbs remembers it, because he was there. Uh, so we are in Anchorage, Alaska on 9-11. Yes, that's And right. Blues Training Camp was there. And what do you do when 9-11 happens? There's nothing that you can do. So we walked around the streets kind of in a daze like everybody else yep. of Anchorage, Alaska for a while. And finally, because it's they're three hours behind us, so we say, what can we do? So Curbs and I went out to the Air Force golf course. That's right. And we, we played golf in Anchorage, Alaska late in the day on 9-11 because... What do you do? So we just wanted to be together. You want to be with another person. So that's what we did. Is that is that still when you look at the fact that we were up in Anchorage, Alaska, we woke up and this stuff had already mm-hmm. happened, right? Actually, it was Scotty Warman that called me up. My phone rang. I, I go, what's up? He goes, are you seeing this? I go, seeing what? He goes, turn on your TV. It, it's 4.15 or 4.30 in the morning Anchorage time. It is It is still as surreal to think of like like remember we're all huddled in the lobby and then at one point our hotel gets cleared out because they had a plane coming in from Korea somewhere in Korea and and they scrambled jets from two air force bases because they couldn't get in contact with them so so downtown buildings like it was that was it's yeah. still surreal to think of how we did that. Our hotel was the tallest building in Anchorage. Yeah. My knee, I, I called home. Uh, my cell phone didn't work in Anchorage. You guys' cell phones did. I'm calling from a payphone in the lobby of the hotel, calling my wife saying, hey, love you. I don't know if I'm going to survive this because my knees were shaking. I thought that that plane was coming after us. Yeah. Oh, no. It could, and, and they and they did, too. Yeah. That's why they cleared. Yep. Hey, um, 
Okay, that led me to something else, but I got I want to try and stay on topic. Otherwise, I have the ability and the and the ADHD to totally derail your guys' show here. Okay, um, but so my pit of the week, I actually got more specific than you did, but it was the same game. But my pit went directly onto the shoulders of Carlos Martinez. It's a good pit. Yeah. I am like. He was the guys, I, I I have believed. I felt this. I I felt this about Jaime Garcia. Okay, when 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 once once you knew that if once you knew that he could his start could be derailed by room service being late the night before. Yeah, you knew that you had a guy that didn't have the mental capacity to battle the way you need to battle, and that's the moment you, you, you should have traded him. That's a pit. Okay. Yeah. You've seen enough of Carlos Martinez that you're still hoping, you're hoping, you're hoping. I don't have the faith that he's going to figure it out. And at this point in time, to still wonder what you're going to get from this guy. Electric stuff that should be ace of the staff caliber. Mm -hmm. And to not even come close to seeing it consistently, to me, was a huge bit. They needed more from him in that game and didn't get it. And that is telling you something. Remember, so that's my pit. You remember Neil Allen. Cardinals yes. traded oh, yeah. Keith yeah. Hernandez for him. Hal Lanier, down in spring training, once famously said, million-dollar arm, 10-cent head. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, and who was and, – and I don't remember the, the cut. There was a uh, – there was a, a clip this week from a golfer – Who's and it might have been on the European tour. I don't know if you remember some. Maybe we bring this up to Jay. I'll, I'll tell you okay, what. I'll save that up. story. I'll save that story okay. for Jay because it relates. It relates to mental toughness of how you because okay. his luggage and nothing came. He ended up playing with somebody else's shoes. Got clubs from somebody else. And then his approach was, man, life happens. That's great. And you still yeah. got to go out there. So what's your peak? Uh, my 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 peak of the week was sitting at Bush Stadium with my daughter, right, watching. That Adam Wainwright performance again. And for all you out there on Twitter that think that this is nostalgic, you're full of it. <laughs> the reason it was great is because I was able to look at her, and it's the first inning. And we are literally so we're sitting up. We were up in the Champions Club, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and our good friend Dan Farrell stopped by to say hello, right? And we're talking with him. They've already got two runs on the board. And we looked at Grace, and we said, if he holds this and doesn't allow that third run, you watch how Adam Wainwright's going to put something on the table because that's sports toughness. Did. And he did. And and so to share that game, I, I absolutely loved it. That's my peak of the week as a dad. All right. Emily is here with some text 65780. Emily, what do you got? From the 636, my peak was meeting Randy and finishing up our round of golf together last night. How about that? Yeah, she- last night, I, I will, uh, after dinner, I will go up to Creve Core Golf Course, a little nine hole course, five minutes from home, and play. And uh, there was a group, play- I-, I just play by myself to try to improve my game. And there was a group pl- of uh, young men playing in front of me, nice guys, and uh, that was fun. So I, uh, I appreciate you listening and sending in the text. From the 636, Pitt, Michelle being on vacation, but peak, Curbs replacing her. Oh, that's oh I'll nice. take that. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. So, yeah. Michelle's pit, by the way, is going to have to be, to, she's running a half marathon. That, oh. That's a pit. Okay, so I did that once. Have you, you, did you do that? No chance. I haven't run 13 miles in my life combined. Yeah. So I had some, I had some back surgery a couple of years ago, and now, and, and some nerve just didn't regenerate down the lake. So it took me out of the jogging world, mm-hmm. which is kind of a shame. But my wife really got it. Like, honest to God, she never ran. And then all of a sudden, one morning, she made like Forrest Gump. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like, she just, she just looked at me and goes, 
I think I'll run now. <laughs> now, she doesn't sound like that, but you can appreciate this, okay? And so she went for a jog, and next thing you know, she's running half marathon. She's doing this. Now, I could always run, all right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right. Now, I hadn't been I hadn't been working out. I mean, well, I've, I've been riding a bike and doing that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I hadn't been working. I said, I'm going to go for a run. And you bring this up to her next time you see Krista, yeah. right? It absolutely pissed her off. I said, I'm going to go for a run. So I left the house, and I went for a run. And I ran up to Clayton Road and then around to Baxter and all the <laughs> way down. I come back about an hour and a half later, and I'm just uh, just drenched. And Where'd you run? And I told her. And she looks at me. And I hadn't run, mm-hmm. okay? It was a nine-mile run, okay? <laughs> and she she used language at me that I had not heard of. She goes, I'm doing all this. And so at one point I just said, all right, I'll run with you. I ran uh, ran a one-half marathon, uh, nice. and that was the end of it. I don't need to ever do it again. <laughs> From the 314 peak, seeing Petrangelo score the game-winning goal last night. Pitt, seeing Petrangelo score the game-winning goal for another team last night. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. I'm really torn on this one. Maybe we'll get into it later in the show. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if the right move was to sign him or not at this point. Curbs, I, I really don't. I can, I can make the case for both being right, and I, I don't know. I, it, I think it was the long-term responsible move. Would but that have, doesn't make it the short-term right move. No, it does not. Yeah. Would you have loved to have had him for? these two or three years absolutely but when you look at what happened because once you give a no move clause to one guy your other great players are going to ask and they have to by precedent get them and then you have what happened with the Blackhawks yeah except for this except for you just signed Tori Krug and Justin Falk to seven-year deals now look they're two years younger than Alex Petrangelo but is Alex is Alex that good of a player smart enough player and that diligent of a pro that you're going to get good hockey from him. I, I, I believe he's got that ability yeah. to play a long time. Now, the one thing is, is I, I do believe the speed of the game was going to catch up to him quickly. Having said that, I, man, I, I could not sit here and I, I could not look any fan or any smart approach argue with somebody that yeah. tries to tell me that it was a, a wrong move. And I, I, I have to say, I can't disagree with. Don't you, you think even at eight point eight million, if he asks for a no trade rather than a no move, he's here. I think the yes. no movement clause yes. was a deal breaker. I actually, I, I I think that there's a really good chance. I do believe, having talked to him, that he wanted to stay. You know, uh, so uh, yeah, I I think yeah. I, I think that's it. And I totally agree with Doug Armstrong and applaud it on that no movement clause that no player should have more power than the owner. Bingo. Um, and, and so I, I yeah yeah I I I, I do agree with that. Yep. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to visit with our buddy Jay Delsing, talk some golf. The uh, U.S. Open is next week. Jay is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Every Sunday morning at 9 here on 101 ESPN, you hear golf with uh, Jay Delsing. Jay is a great St. Louisan. He is a former member of the PGA Tour, knows the sport, and you hear a lot of great stuff. Golf with Jay Delsing Sunday mornings at 9 here on 101 ESPN. And Jay is with us now, as he is every Friday on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Good morning. I didn't know you snuck out every uh, evening over at Creve Corps. Maybe I'll have to join you one of these evenings. It's, uh, uh, I was talking to, time to play. Danny yesterday. It's because... As you heard me say, I need to work on my short game. And Dan says, just get together with Jay. So we we, we always talk about it. So we, we've got to get out here in the next couple of weeks. Now that you're healthy and we don't have a pandemic, we can do it. 
and, it, and, and we've got this heat, Randy, since I had my knee done, I've been practicing, oh gosh, for probably the last two weeks every day. And it, it, it doesn't take me 45 minutes just to go from my car to the driving range. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you, Brooks Kepka yesterday or the day before yesterday said that his feud with Bryson DeChambeau is good for the sport of golf. I tend to agree with Kepka. I want to get your take as somebody who is uh, obviously you're kind of a traditionalist. I know that you you like what goes on with the sport and you like what happens in other sports, but do you think that that particular feud is good for golf? Oh man, Randy, it seems so childish to me. Uh, you know, we're just in a different era, right? I mean, you, you guys were talking about Carlos Martinez and Neil Allen, and my dad used to call people like that. They'd say, son, he's got an eight, a size 18 neck and two hat. That's what, my, that's what my, my dad would tell me. But this stuff with Brooks, Brooks is one of these guys that, to me, always is looking for that chip on his shoulder. He's always looking to get his dander up a little bit, always looking for something to try to motivate him. But, you know... For him, he also said, Randy, which is a complete load of crap, that he said that what you do off the golf course doesn't matter. And I'm like, really? Ask Tiger. It doesn't matter? That's a good point. Biggest load I've ever heard. I mean, totally oblivious to what he's saying. It's interesting in sports, isn't it, Jay, how, like, I, I don't care what, what the sport, and, you, and, you, and you're enough of a sports fan, so let's just take you off the, the links for just a second with this. Chirpiness and personal rivalries are one thing, and we've seen them throughout sports, you know, hatred between players, and it fires groups up. It's good to see. It's absolutely good to see. But there is still nothing. But the only way it stays relevant is if either one of those two guys wins. Or if, if, if in, in, in the case of... You know, like like as much hatred as there might have been between Veritech and A-Rod, for example, right? It only mattered when the Red Sox were finally able to start beating the New York Yankees. So to me, I, I think it's I, I'm okay with this, but then it's gonna really get juicy if, if there's win. Like it's okay that if you have two guys that are winning end up hating each other. That will add some spice to that. That 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 could be good. I, I agree. As long as guys, let's settle this with the clubs. Yeah. Right. Let's get out there and, and start uh, and start giving us some memorable moments on shot making and long putts and guts and 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 the things that we all love about, you know, one of the things we love about playoff hockey is the, the chippiness, what people do uh, with their bodies is sacrifice for the team and things like that, not um, build up your Twitter account. Well, t- t- so to that point, I mean, to that point. How are these two guys not going to, like, I mean, you have to pair them up together in the U.S. Open. You have to give them the first two rounds together. Well, it's the USGA. It'll be really, really interesting. But, Curbs, how are you doing if you're Steve Stricker and you're the captain of the U.S. Ryder Cup team in your home state in Wisconsin in September? That's it. I know. That's that's why. I mean, you got twelve guys in your room. I mean, so, so, you know, how, how do you do that? So, so you tell the officials that are putting the pairings together for the U.S. Open. I need you to put these two guys together because they got to work it out now. Because I might need them later on in the summer. Either way, if if golf has 
any sense right now, you're putting the two of them together. Yeah, that'd be fun. Hey, Jay, what happened with uh, Ricky Fowler? Ricky says, and he was in qualifying, for those that aren't aware of it, tried to qualify for the U.S. Open this week, missed by a stroke, and now says he's just going to go hang on Tiger's couch during the U.S. Open. What's happened to Ricky Fowler's game? He's only 32. I, I know, Randy. We talk about this on the show occasionally. You know, Jordan Spieth is even younger than Ricky and fell into this chasm where he went from the number one player in the world and plummeted oh, get back into the hundreds, you know. And it just – the game is hard, and, and your, your life starts changing a little bit. Ricky gets married. There's some, some different priorities that he's dealing with. And um, I was asking Faraday on the show a couple of weeks ago, what do you think about Ricky? Because – He's so popular everywhere he goes. You know, you see him. He, he does more commercials, you know, than any golfer around. And, he, and Verity's take was that this is the first time he's seen him start losing patience with himself and start changing his attitude a little bit. And that's where the slope gets real slippery. And that's where these dives or these peaks that you fall into can really, really last a long time. And if you ask guys like Ian Baker, Finch Hell, he never got out of this. And, and it's, it's it, you know, that's one of the things that happens with, with golf guys where you're, you're on an island and you do things a certain way and you're really going off of feels, right? This feel produces this result. And when something changes like that and all of a sudden the results start changing, it, you need help. And Ricky left Butch about two years ago. And um, he, he's actually trending, believe it or not, Randy. The last two events, he finished T11th at Memorial, which was great. He almost had a top five at Kiowa mm-hmm. for the PGA Championship. So there are some positives. But all I can answer is, because most of my career was a big valley. Uh, <laughs> all I can answer is that the game is so hard, man. It's just so hard. And um, you, you just you, you sometimes you just can't get the thing to the ball to do what you want it to do. And, and by the way, he missed the U.S. Open by a stroke because another player holed out from 115 to eagle the 18th. Yeah. So it, those sorts of things happen in golf too. Oh my gosh, they they absolutely do, and you have no control over it. And I mean, sometimes you just you know grab your clubs and you walk to the car and you get on out of there. There's just nothing to do, nothing to say. It, it, you, you know, maybe head to some place to to, um, to quench your thirst a little bit and take a little bit of the edge <laughs> off of that because there's just not a whole hell of a lot you could do when somebody else plays better. Yeah, but Jay, is, is Ricky Fowler, to expand on Randy's question a little bit, is Ricky Fowler an individual example or is he – Really, a an example of a bigger symptom that's happening in the game of golf when you realize how much, like, how much the great players in the game, like a Dustin Johnson, still miss cuts on a regular basis. Is is there an approach to the game that this kind of core group of players that are in their prime are are missing, where they'll go on a hot Patrick Reed, right, can, can go on a streak, win a couple tournaments. You know, and then and then just disappear from relevance for a little while, where you're just not seeing consistent, solid play that keeps you in contention with a good run of top ten finishes in tournaments. You know, where where guys aren't. I mean, you right now have a hard time predicting whether or not the all of them uh, take the take the top ten players in the world. Sometimes you have a hard time predicting whether or not those top ten players are going to even make a cut in a major tournament. 
Oh, Curbs, you're spot on. And one of the things that most people don't realize is we professional golfers make 80% of our money in six weeks of the year. Now, these guys are averaging 26, 27 events. So when your weeks are off, this is where the greatness of Tiger Woods really shines. Because you would take Tiger's top six events and they'd, probably, they'd all be wins. You know, and, and what's when you don't have someone dominating like we did with Tiger. I mean, Dustin Johnson has been world number one now for I don't know how long. And when's the last time he's played well? It's been and a while. We right. just don't, it has been a while, and we just don't have this um, this player that stands out like um, it did. Now, now, one of the things that there's been talk about the U.S. players and, and why we don't do as well in the Ryder Cup and things like this is because you get a guy like Ricky Fowler, he's only won four or five times. And I say only. But he, he puts himself in an awful lot of positions to win and just doesn't come through. But in the meantime, you guys, he makes a hell of a lot of money. And so as you age, how do you keep that edge? How do you keep that burning desire to win when your bank account is full? But, Jay, is there... Is there an approach or something with the the mental side or, or just, frankly, how players play the game? For example, I'll give you this example. Baseball uh, baseball players, the, the, the number of strikeouts that happen because everybody seems to be trying to figure out launch angle and home runs, right? When, when you know, you and, and it's still great to hit 30 home runs in a season out of, what, 500-something at-bats, right? In the game of golf, is there something like that where – you're not seeing that consistent play regular, you know, you know, week in, week out from some of these guys. It, uh, I think it's, I think it's always been there, Curbs. It's just that um, oftentimes we have had, uh, you know, Tiger's a generational type player. Right. Right? He doesn't come along ever. Phil Mickelson is not quite as strong, but 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 is you know just a little bit behind him. Other people like a Dustin Johnson is is a, a great player. It's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame with his two major wins at over twenty uh, PGA Tour titles, but just doesn't quite add up to to those levels. And so, I, I think it's just more the nature of the game. I mean, when I first got on the PGA Tour, Tom Watson was kind of the star that was kind of going away, and Greg Norman. Um, kind of took over for him, but he wasn't in that same ilk as Tiger or Jack because he only won 15 or 18 times in his career, not 80. And so you guys, we've gotten so accustomed the best two players in the world for the last 25 years in the world of golf are Tiger and Phil, by the way, two of the worst drivers of the ball you've ever seen. (laughs) No question about that. But, um, but, but those guys just don't come along that often and I got a big big kick out of this curbs where the young guys were sitting around with Phil and they were talking like man we really wish we could have had a piece of tiger in his prime and Phil (laughs) are you crazy (laughs) you wouldn't have had any wins you would have had no wins you know and and that's kind of what that's kind of what we're experiencing and the other thing is guys is uh so many great players now from, you know, you're starting to see a lot more South Korean men come to the sport and, and really play well. And, you know, they're dominating the women's sport and have for almost 15 years. And, and so there, there are other players coming from around the world that are, that are, that are playing well and so capable. And it just, it's hard to win. It's hard to win out there. Jay, who do you got on the show on Sunday? 
I got uh, Major League Hall of Famer John Smoltz. You know, what a great nice. guy. He does a great job with Bucky at, 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 uh, at, at Fox. And he's also trying to play on the Champions Tour a little bit, guys. So it's uh, uh, interesting. He had some great takes on what he's trying to do. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, the guys out there, uh, they'll really help you on the range and everything. And then as soon as the puck drops, they just want to beat the heck out of you. And, and he said, for, for the most part, they are. <laughs> I love Smolty. Looking forward to the show. Jay, always good to talk to you. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me, guys. See you, Jay. Jay Delsing with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text in for Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman. Curbs in for Michelle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Chris Kerber, Randy Carricker, Emily Butcher. Kerbs, I'll get things started here. Okay. Take it or leave it. The Canadians facing Max Pacioretty in the playoffs would be akin to the Cardinals facing a still effective Albert Pujols in the postseason. I am going to leave that. Uh, while I understand it, I, I think... Uh, Max Pacioretty has been a good player, but the difference is the greatness of the two. But Pacioretty was the captain he in was. Montreal. He was. Yeah, he was. And, and Montreal didn't have much success with him. No. And and I, that, that, to me, becomes a big difference. So the, the Cardinals' success surrounded what uh, was, was, happened because of Albert Pujols in so many ways. So that, yeah. that would be the only difference. But, he'll, but I love the analogy. Oh, and he'll be the yeah. storyline, especially in Montreal. When the, the, the Golden Knights have to go back to Montreal, he'll be the storyline. All right, uh, take it or leave it, okay? The Cardinals will make the playoffs, but only as a wild card team. We'll leave it. The only chance they have is as the division champion okay. because the two wild card teams are going to come out of the West. All right. So I'm going to leave it, unfortunately. Okay, all right. I know that's it. That's good. All right, got another, uh, can I, I'm going to go back to this one then since we just got done with, with Jay Delsing. All right. Take it or leave it. We will see a woman play on the PGA Tour in a major within the next 10 years? I'm going to leave that. No, I, I I don't think that'll happen. Because, especially for a major, it's going to have to be good enough to qualify. And I don't know uh, what the rules are. I don't know if the PGA Tour, and the, the women hit the ball 300 yards, so that doesn't make any difference. But they're just such different sports. The guys... Bryson DeChambeau's hitting the ball 380 yards off the tee. But he's not winning. But he's he's close. He's top five, top ten. I, I understand. But yeah. but he's not winning. I, I think if there is a sport where we can see that happen, yeah. that is the sport. I don't believe that, especially in the majors, that they'll give a woman an opportunity. I don't think so. I don't know that they're going to give it. I think they're going to take it. I, I, th- I think someone will earn it. It would be interesting. And if that's the case, because if Michelle, we would have ever put her game together in her prime. Right. And she did play on some men's mm-hmm. tour events. She could have done it. And women's golfers are getting better hitting the ball farther. I'd like to see it. I, would. I, 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 I think it would be spectacular to see. I'd love to see it. Emily, what do you got for us? All right. This one is a Patrick versus Katie character edition. Oh, okay. Here we go. From the 618, take it or leave it. The Suns lose to the Nets in the finals. I will 
take that on a contingency, and that is if James Harden is healthy enough to play. Otherwise, the Suns beat the Nets. I am not even going to try to fake my way through that question and hold some level of sports integrity so, and tell you I have no clue. My my kids, uh, one I, is a big Suns fan yeah. and another is a big Nets fan. So um, I, I see a lot of those two teams. <laughs> what 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 gets? What is the number one topic talked about at the character dinner table when everybody is there? When all four of you are there? Oh, it's, that is not sports. Ooh, good. Good question, because generally it is sports. I, I, I figured that. It's yeah. not the dog's Instagram, is it? You, you no, guys are uh-huh. probably flicking corn kernels through like finger field goals just for points. Exactly. And stuff, which I which I get. So aside from sports, all right, when, when sports does not get talked about, what, or, or is that when everybody's no. chewing? No, it, it's probably <laughs> talking about jobs. Okay. Who at work, stuff like that. Like that SNL skit where they're clanging the fork that's on the exa- plate. That's exactly right. <laughs> From the 573 Take It or Leave It, Tyler O'Neill in the Home Run Derby. I'm going to leave it because I think Arenado in Colorado winds up representing the Cardinals in the Home Run Derby. I will go with that too. And Winker has to be in there and Araki has to be in there. Yes. It's four, still four per league, right? Yes. So, yes. yeah, I would put an Acuna in there. So I'm going to leave Tyler out of it. Take it oh, or leave it. will be fun. Do you even care about the Home Run Derby? I'm going to leave that. Yeah, I'm not a home run derby guy. How about Larry Walker pitching to Tyler O'Neill, though? That would be fun. Is there really a, fun. Is there a skills competition in baseball aside from the home run derby that you'd be intrigued by that you could pull off? No, and they used to do one. I was actually at the skills competition in Anaheim. Barry Larkin blew out his elbow. At an all-star skills competition, then okay. they said, oh, yeah, no more of that. Like, accurate, okay, like, accurate, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd be intrigued with some accuracy throwing from the outfield, mm-hmm. the home plate, you know, put a target there, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, nobody that, wants to risk no, their health. Yeah, yeah right, but we'll, but we'll go ahead and put the obliques in, in, in target just for the home run derby, but <laughs> yeah, chicks right. take the long ball, so I get it. <laughs> okay, wait, can I stick with baseball on, the, on one more take it or leave it? Sure. This one is a major one. I probably should have used this as my pit. For the week instead of picking on Carlos Martinez. <laughs> in no way, shape, or form, and let me be clear about this, in no way, shape, or form should this product remain a product. Okay? Take it or leave it. Squeeze relish needs to be removed from the condiment options. Not relish in its of itself. But squeeze relish. There is zero way to get, like, you either get nothing but pickle juice on your hot dog, right? Or you get a clump of relish that squirts out. Like, squeeze relish has to go. It's kind of like the thought of putting a GPS through a needle. Yeah, there's yes. absolutely no way that relish should come in a squeeze there, There's Because you can't pour it. Right? right, you have to squeeze it, and then it goes. Yep, right, exactly and, right. and it's and it's out of like squeeze relish has to go. Emily, you agree? That was so intense of a thought. Uh, an intense random thought. By <laughs> that the way. was very, very <laughs> random. Um, it's no, not so random if you are a fan of hot dogs. I don't. I don't really care either way. I, okay. I like relish, so I'll take it. I, I'll I just, like opening the jar and will, spreading it. You, rather, I'm sorry. I'll leave it. I'll leave. I'll leave that. I'll take the relish. <laughs> right. You'll take the relish in any form. In any form, yeah. Thanks, Emily. I don't mind. Thanks. Just just 
squeeze relish has to go. And thanks for your texts. And we do want your texts now because as we approach We Went Blues Day, what was your favorite moment during the 2019 Stanley Cup run? We want to hear from you with the text 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, or you can leave us a mic drop. Did you have one moment that's right now in your mind's eye as the Blues approached the Stanley Cup, which was two years ago tomorrow? We want to hear from you next with our fresh take on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A team that was in last place on January 3rd. The players on the bench are bouncing up. History will be made tonight in Boston. 15 seconds to go as Shen blocks a puck to the corner. 10 seconds remaining. Get up, St. Louis. Get on your feet. Raise them high. Five seconds to go. And the time winds down. They did it. It's over. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. Chris Kerber with the call two years ago tomorrow. Did you have goosebumps when you made that call? I I just had goosebumps listening to it. I, I appreciate you saying that. No, I was I was so focused on watching everything. Um, mm-hmm. You, you didn't want to miss a thing, and you're looking at the class. And we were down in the corner. We were, I mean, you get really squeezed out of everything when you're visiting radio in those situations, right? So I was, I was down in the corner, and you're just looking. And I had my pen in my hand, writing either down a number, something you're seeing, if somebody's going somewhere. Because once you get through that call, and the jubilation, you want you. You're just laser focused on making sure that you can tell everybody what you're seeing. Were you in the corner where Bennington was or the opposite? No, corner? we were in the blues corner. We were in okay, the corner. Okay, so you got to see everybody skating towards We were in line with about the hash marks on the face-off okay. circles is where that our broadcast position was. It was great. Yeah. It was a, a, an incredible feeling for every blues fan that has lived and died with them for so many years. And we have a million texts. We do appreciate you texting in to tell us what your favorite memories were and this from the 618 and it's so fitting one of my favorite parts of that was the team taking Layla on that roller coaster ride of emotions to the ultimate victory yeah I'm not sure how you pick a favorite I I, honest to goodness like there were so many great moments it'd be like well it'd be like going to my dad who had nine of us so there's nine kids and saying hey Lou which who's your favorite kid right he might tell you at some point off the record but I don't know that he could pick (laughs) any one of them you know I know it isn't me, but uh, <laughs> the uh, you know it's it would definitely be one of my sisters. Uh, <laughs> uh, from the three one four, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Maroon's goal in double overtime. This is the David Freeze game six moment for hockey in our town. I if uh, so on ice moment, I, I, that was it. I that was amazing. Which is so unfair to Carl Gunnarsson's goal and mm-hmm. and the save on Nordstrom and all these other things. But you know there was. There was a save. I have. I still have the picture on my phone, and I put it in the favorites so I could pull it up for people because it's still such a hot topic, even two years later. That wrap around by Jamie Ben when, when the clear from Colton Pareko hit the side of the net and didn't go into the back of the net, and Jamie Ben beat him off the wall and grabbed that puck. 
That wraparound is on the goal line a minute 30, what, a minute 37, I think it was, before Pat Maroon scores. And Joe and I were fully expecting. The play is going down the ice the other way. We were fully expecting the horn to sound and a double overtime game end in the completely anticlimactic way Mm -hmm. of that puck being called a goal. It's unbelievable that it it didn't go in. Yes. I mean, so, you know, you look at... You look at the game of hockey and the luck that so I, that 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 goal by Pat Maroon I I think to me if I if I had to squeeze out one moment that was it from the three one four when Petro scored the second goal in the final game at that moment it was becoming more real than ever curbs whenever last night I and I wanted Vegas to win. But in that final minute, final final thirty seconds, I always yell at my TV, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Marshawn didn't keep playing. And Petro was able to get the goal because he just skated back to the bench. And, and Jaden Schwartz doesn't get enough credit for the assist on that. Mm-hmm. It was a spectacular feed by by number seventeen. And 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 Marchand, it, it, I don't think it's so much that he quit playing. He he got confused and thought line change. Mm-hmm. Ha- having said that, uh, can I ask you this? Why did you want Vegas over Colorado? And I think it's going to be the same reason. Oh, because of Colorado's owner. Okay, thank you. All right, I, I don't get into this business good. to win trophies, so you should be happy today. Yes, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay. We have, the, we have the same exact reason, and this was hard because I think Jared Bednar is a is a terrific coach, mm-hmm. a great guy, Coach Peoria. Ray Bennett is one of the nicest gentlemen that I have ever met in this game of hockey. Their other assistant coach, uh, Nolan Pratt, was a defenseman for us when I was in Springfield. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I knew him 20-plus years ago, right? Nathan McKinnon is a good guy. I think Landis Cog is one of the great underrated captains in the game. Mm-hmm. Hands Agreed. down, one of the great leaders in the game. There's plenty of reason to pull for them, but because of the owner, I could not. Yeah, I'm... I will never root for them. And I'm rooting really hard against the Denver Nuggets, too. It's just, it gives me something to root against. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's like I, I, I root for the Cardinals and anybody playing the Cubs. Yep, exactly. Right. From the 314, Patty Maroon, you guys are blanked. Great moment. <laughs> and that is why, that, that isn't something I think the Blues have missed two years. And I think you could make the case that maybe one Hindsight 2020 post-cup judgment was not re-signing Pat Maroon. Even if he's yeah. only playing nine yeah. minutes a game in the regular season, that attitude postseason. Somebody texted in uh, from the 314 on the uh, Air Comfort Service text line, uh, Boom Boom Gunnarsson. Mm-hmm. The classic, classic. He is going to go down as such an underrated player like when we talk about all the veterans that got hurt we very rarely mention right. Carl Gunnison getting hurt and this was a guy that could go from the press box when they wanted to see a young guy to a top pairing with Alex Petrangelo right and and I mean okay not not many of us get to call the shot while mm-hmm. we're going to the bathroom right and he is Part of the, that culture, one of the veteran culture yes. guys on the team. Let Do me give you one more, Curbs, and I, I, you'll appreciate this, but I want you to react to it. it uh, this is from the 573. Watching and listening to the Stanley Cup playoff games while stationed at Camp Pendleton. Uh. You've got Blues fans that are out in California in the military who are just so emotionally invested that they're listening to you. You know what, and uh, please, please. First off, thank you for listening and, and sending that in. Um, I, I mean this sincerely. I, I'll get texts from every now and then from you know different police officers and stuff that I know, and, and they're on duty at night, and they're they're sending a text saying, "Hey, got the game on." 
you know, and stuff like that. Or we'll get tweeted at from somebody that, that that's in Afghanistan, you know, and, and listening during the game. Uh, it humbles you. Yesterday at the Medal of Valor ceremony, two officers came up, and, and one of them, one of the officers that received the Medal of Valor, okay, um, for, for for being shot at and taking a bullet, right? Said, it comes up to me and says, thanks for part of the greatest 15 seconds of my life listening wow. to the radio. And uh, if, there, if there's anything that just puts life into perspective for you is what we do to bring entertainment and bring people just a, a, a break and some enjoyment, that was it. So I, I appreciate that That's kind of a ton. Great yeah, to it was really amazing. And that is, you know, that you remember forever those 15 seconds. I don't know, for example, if Rick Pitino's greatest 15 seconds, if he has a great memory of it. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, I put. Well, he, he might have been until the waitress decided to talk. <laughs> Can we really go? In fact, actually, at his age, it might have been seven, and then the rest was sitting there looking yeah, at a piece yeah. of apple pie. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah it, it, she said fifteen Jesus. seconds, and might have been trying to flatter him a little bit. We we're going to hear more about this coming up at nine fifteen. More not about Rick Patino, but your reaction. We've got Mike drops and more text coming up at 9.15. But next up is college football starting to get smart about their playoff system. That's next with Curbs and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, Randy Carricker with you on 101 ESPN. Back when college football just had their championship game, they picked their final two teams. Everybody said, we need an expanded playoff. Then they get to a final four and everybody still said, we need an expanded playoff. And yesterday came word that college football is considering a playoff now of 12 teams. The top four teams would get a bye and the remaining eight would play each other. And then the winners of those four games would play the top four teams. The bracket would include the six highest ranked conference champions and the six remaining highest ranked teams as determined by the selection committee. No conference would qualify automatically and there would be no limit on the number of participants from a conference. According to the proposal, for example, the SEC, if the committee decided the SEC had five teams among the top 12, then they could put them in there. Here's Heather Dinich of ESPN. Well, it starts next Thursday and Friday at those meetings in Chicago where the 10 FBS commissioners and Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick will meet in person for the first time to discuss this proposal in depth. Remember, they just saw it for the first time this morning, the rest of the group. So if they come to a consensus next Friday and they agree on it, the following Tuesday, June 22nd, they will present it to 11 presidents and chancellors who comprise the CFP's board of managers and have the ultimate authority to change the playoff. Now, if they give them the green light, the commissioners and Swarbrick will have all summer to figure out, okay, how do we do this and how do we implement it? A lot of unanswered questions, financials, TV contracts, bowls, etc. They'll report back to them in September. And at that point, the presidents and chancellors can say, okay, we have a new playoff format, or they might continue to work on it. But it would be September at the earliest that they would set a new date. Bill Hancock has said that it will not happen this year or next season. All right, Curbs, a couple of things I take out of this. Number one, the top six conferences, we have the power five. 
So a group of five conference, the MAC perhaps, the Mountain West, somebody is from the group of five is going to be in the playoff and get an opportunity. So what this does is this, number one, we shouldn't have been surprised at all. We knew that this this was going to come eventually because when you limit it to four, there were going to be some legitimate powerhouse teams that were going to get eliminated. And this is what the impetus has been. This has happened because enough teams over the last number of years have not had a chance. And that's the only reason there, aside from the money issue that we all know. Having said that, this does add some level of integrity to the process because if 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 you do have Idaho, you know, or mm-hmm. BYU or somebody that that has a season that 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 is worthy of at least giving a getting a shot, I don't think that this is going to change the national champion. I really don't. Um, it's going to be Alabama. Okay. I, I, it's it's going to be those same ones because the way the sport in and of itself is governed and handled. All right, you may get the upset every now and then, but the, the, I don't. So I don't think that this is that's a negative, but it adds legitimacy to it. Now it's worth noting in this that that they still because Notre Dame is not in a yep. conference, they are they are still finding a way to stick it to Notre Dame a little bit because it's not the top four in the country that get the buy; it's the top four. In the country that are part of a conference, so top, if Notre Dame conference champions, right? If Notre Dame is ever in the top four, the highest seed they could ever be in this proposal is five, right? So Notre Dame would never get a buy in this situation. I there there are those that are going to argue that college football doesn't need it, you know, that that it isn't going to matter. I guess I, I take a pretty simple approach to sports in general. I don't. This isn't going to harm it. Now, the only difference is, is now, you're, instead of debating, you're going to have two debates. You're going to have to debate on whether or not a team should have gotten the bye. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you have to win the conference. So it's black and white. That one, the bye is no longer a judgment call. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So that's that's the good part. The judgment call comes in the second set, you know, of, of six teams. But then now the debate comes when you're talking about who was the thirteenth team. And at that point, well, do you really care? No, because those 12 are going to be the, the the best team in the country is going to be in that 12. Pretty much everybody that has a chance to win a championship is going to be there. And because a one or two lost team, a, one, a two lost team probably is never there, right? But, right. but a, a one lost team could still easily be the best team in the country. Definitely. And, and, and may not get the chance if they don't go undefeated. Right. If you localize this, if... Eli Drinkwitz can get Mizzou to where Gary Pinkle had Mizzou in 2013-14, then Mizzou is in the 12-team playoff. If you're one of the best teams in the SEC, if you are playing in the SEC championship game, then by definition, you're going to be one of the 12 teams in the playoff. There's no way that you can be in the best conference, be the second best team or the third best team, because sometimes that second best team in the conference is going to be out of the West. But the top three teams in the SEC are going to make it pretty much every year. Okay, but to your point, and this this is this is the flip side, I'll, I'll just I'm, I'm play some devil's advocate here. And this supports the people that say, I don't know that you really needed to expand it, because, again, I don't think it's going to change who the national champion truly is. But... Outside of outside of the Power Five, that, that other conference, it, let's and, and you brought up the MAC. I'm a MAC guy, yeah. right? Okay, you know, having gone to Miami of Ohio, so the team that wins the MAC, do we really think that? I mean, would I love to see it? Sure. Do I really think they've got a chance going up against a team in the SEC? No. I agree uh, with uh, that. Unless it was Bowling Green that managed to always upset somebody. <laughs> I here's the thing. I want 
the teams that go undefeated in a group of five situation to get an opportunity. Let's take a look a couple of years ago. Uh, well, let's just go back to Central Florida when they went undefeated and yes. they gave themselves a banner. They should have an opportunity. If you don't, if your kids play your schedule and don't lose a game, you should have an opportunity to go for it. Now, you might get drilled, but at least you have the opportunity to show people that you are that good. And that is the integrity aspect of this system. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because if you're playing by. You can't sit there and say that we've got one set of rules for the SEC because you're the SEC and are developed into that great of a conference and another set of rules for for Central Florida. That like like that's I mean that is one of the things that does make the 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 NCAA basketball tournament as great as it is. Okay, like by the time you crown a champion, they've earned it. Yep. Okay, and if somebody goes on a Cinderella run, they've earned it. Okay, you're at least giving a team. You're giving a and and even at the pure base of it, you are giving a college program a chance to go to the next level and prove themselves and, and maybe grow into it, rather than just giving all the rewards to the SEC and a couple of the other conferences and never giving anybody else a chance to truly grow. Like like why if if you go into one of those schools, Central Florida builds it, they go undefeated. It, it could take a little while. Maybe they do turn themselves into a great college football program, uh, but. Why, why should they not have that chance to recruit accordingly, having built something just because, well, we just don't like your conference. We're yeah. going to give it to them. Yeah. I understand. Exactly. That. At the end of the day, it's all about money. It's all about inventory. It's all about our eyes being able to watch college football and networks being able to sell more advertising and therefore being paying or paying college football more. It's all about money. And that's great because I have wanted to see more college playoff games for some time. I, I'm i an advocate for the 16-team playoff like they have in Division 2 and 3, but 12 is fine. I'm good with this. I'm good with teams being rewarded with those buys. I think if they do it, it'll be awesome. You're, there's enough competition that, especially because you're given the buy to the first four, the top four, okay? So you're looking, you're looking at the the next eight, there's enough competition where you you will see that 12 team beat the 5 team. Sometimes you will. You will see mm-hmm. that happen. Right. So go for it, college football. I hope it happens. That's Curbs. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It is a Friday morning. We welcome you back into Carricker and Smallman. Michelle on vacation. I'm Chris Kerber. Sitting in her chair and filling in here as we head you into a weekend. So it comes time now for one of those amazing moments. This is like for those of you growing up uh, in my area, you're watching Mutual of Omaha's Animal Kingdom, and you're seeing things that you had never seen on video before. Or maybe you're a fan of Ripley's Believe It or Not, and you just can't believe that there was an eight foot six man that could fit into a VW of golf. And they showed you this is the level that we are at with the fight. 
Randy Carricker's sports knowledge is, I mean, it is it is sitting next to an encyclopedia. And for those of you that do not know what an encyclopedia is, and I can understand why, look it up. All right, so let's bring Tyler in. Tyler, who won yesterday via tiebreaker, so it is still a legitimate win. Tyler, I assume that for the last 24 hours you have been boning up and studying, and I'm sure you lost sleep last night, right? Absolutely. Got a little case of the tight cheeks this morning. That's it. The pucker factor is high, as we like to say in the game of hockey. All right, so you're ready to go. You're ready to We're going to go right at it because I have to, when, you, when you're able to beat Randy Carricker, by the way, all right, not only is that in and of itself a terrific feat, right, but when you know you've now got a chance to do it twice, we're about to see whether you're a cool cucumber or whether you just wilt in the pressure, you know. So let's let's go after this. You ready to go? Yes, sir. Okay. Question number one. How many of the four first-place finishers in the regular season and I'm uh, okay. How many of the four first place finishers in the regular season were eliminated in the opening round of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs? How many of the four first place finishers, I'm assuming that means division, right? In the regular season were eliminated in the opening round of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs? Your options are A2, B3, or C4? Three. Tyler says it is B3. All right. Emily, fire number two. Which Blues defenseman scored his first Stanley Cup playoff goal in overtime to win game two of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs? I'm, I'm sorry, the Stanley Cup finals. Was wait, wait, it- wait, wait. Before we... Can you answer this without me giving you the, 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 the options? I cannot. Okay. All right. Give him the options. Was it Robert Bortuzzo? Vince Dunn or Carl Gunnarsson? Carl Gunnarsson. All right. Okay. Question. And by the way, the reason that we're sticking with these questions, tomorrow is We Went Blues Day. Log on to 101ESPN.com. You're going to see a whole list of all the events, including great merchandise deals, opportunity uh, for um, you know this to, to get a hold of this, a print of this great painting celebrating the championship. Um, and, and we'll tell you about uh, that the, the Market Street Dreams aspect of it, so log on for that. So we're, we're, we're doing the fight. We've got Tyler. He's given the answers to question one and to question two. Time now for three. Which Blues forward scored more goals in the 2019 playoffs than he did in the regular season that year? Was it A, Tyler Bozak, B, Jaden Schwartz, or C, Alexander Steen? Bozak. Going with Bozak. All right. Emily, let him have number four. Who led all players in scoring during the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals? Was it Patrice Bergeron, Ryan O'Reilly, or Vladimir Tarasenko? O'Reilly. All right. Okay, we've got to ask you the tiebreaker. Or do we do the no, tiebreaker we wait, later? We we'll, wait until... We'll wait, we wait for we wait Randy until, to come in on the tiebreaker. Yeah. All right, Tyler, how, how do you think you did here, bud? Probably not very well because I was talking to my buddy yesterday and I told him if they hit me with hockey questions, I'm doomed, and they were all hockey questions. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. Uh, okay, wait. Are, are you from St. Louis? Absolutely. Okay, all right. The, these these were questions that even, even from St. Louis, uh, we'll see how I did. All right. 
Tyler was worried this morning. Uh, we we, we t- apparently for the last twenty four hours he's lost about fourteen pounds in, in, in pucker factor weight. Right? Uh-huh. He he was he was Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We gave him <laughs> some coal. He turned it into a diamond in twenty four hours. Okay, uh, so um, so you're you're ready for the fight? Ready. Okay. Question number one, Randy. How many of the four first place division finishers? in the regular season were eliminated in the opening round of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, this is 2019. So one of those would have been the Winnipeg Yets. Uh, so it's, it's either going to be one, two, three, or four, correct? Uh, Boston won theirs. Um, trying to think. Tampa was eliminated. So Winnipeg, Tampa, and the other division was, who won that? Was that a, I don't think Pittsburgh was great that year. I don't even remember. So I'll say Winnipeg, Tampa. I'll say that, uh, and who, oh, Calgary got knocked out. Calgary won their division. So, I don't even remember who won the other division. Oh, Washington. And Washington. I'll go uh, four. All right. Emily, fire number two, Adam. Which Blues defenseman scored his first Stanley Cup playoff goal in overtime to win game two of the 2019 Stanley Cup finals? Boom Boom Gunnarsson. I'll go with that. All right. To question number three, which Blues forward scored more goals in the 2019 playoffs than he did in the regular season? Schwartzy. Okay. And who led all players in scoring during the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals? Ryan O'Reilly. We've got ourselves a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The Sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Tyler, it was a heck of an effort. First off, congratulations for just beating Randy once. Trying to beat him twice is next to impossible because what I just watched him do with the answer to the first question and nailing those division leaders, I'm not sure I could have done that. Okay, and I and I was doing games so that was impressive so the the, uh randy wins by a score of four to two the answer was four your four division winners for uh in the 2019 playoffs that were lemony were the lightning the capitals the predators and the flames so it wasn't the jets it was the predators yeah we finished in third right that's right but but that was still uh, an impress really watching what your brain and your eyes were doing there was flat out amazing uh, to watch we should have videoed that for people <laughs> it was carl boom boom gunnerson after going to the bathroom taking a leak next to craig barubian playoffs <laughs> said i just need another chance by the way there is a picture of that urinal in that uh, championship book that the blues put oh, out there, yeah they great. have a picture of that urinal the book in there. i've never even looked at yeah it. you gotta look, look through that okay it was Jaden schwartz who had just a tough regular season led the blues with 12 playoff goals after scoring 11 in the regular season and he had i mean that that goal with 15 seconds to go in that comeback in game awesome. five in, in Winnipeg was, was just amazing. And Ryan O'Reilly did finish with uh, five goals, four assists in the Stanley Cup finals, outdoing Patrice Bergeron and Vladimir Tarasenko. So the answers were there. Tyler, nice job, my man. Congratulations. Uh, you can now breathe and relax and uh, go into the weekend with at least some bragging rights that you did beat them once. 
I appreciate it, gentlemen, and I will be back for vengeance, but I'll be wearing the same number. <laughs> All right, Tyler. I, I like it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Good to have you with us. That's Tyler on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about the former Blues that are left in the playoffs and uh, curbs with a little hockey stream of consciousness coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We have our final four set in the National Hockey League. And of the four teams, Tampa will play the Islanders. And it'll be Vegas against Montreal. Only one of them doesn't have a Blues Stanley Cup champion on their roster. That's the Islanders. Pat Maroon is going for his third straight Stanley Cup as a member of the Lightning. You've got Alex Petrangelo with the Golden Knights. And you have both Jake Allen and Joel Edmondson. With Montreal, and Curbs and I were talking during the break about what a great player Joel Edmondson has been for Montreal. And Curbs, none of these three, uh, Maroon, Edmondson, Petrangelo, none of these three are just along for the ride. They're all having an impact for their teams. They are, and you know, you look you look at this this scenario there, and it speaks to the well, just how deep you have to be to win a Stanley Cup. You know, and, and go through things. Carolina traded Joel Edmondson to Montreal after the Blues dealt him for, for Justin Falk. Petro, of course, leaves and signs that contract. No contract offer was made to Pat Maroon. He signs the one-year deal followed by a two-year deal. And then, of course, a trade for for Jake Allen. Jake Allen was huge for Montreal in this rate. When Carey Price didn't have his game, Jake Allen was Enormous. They don't. They don't survive. They don't make the playoffs without Jake Allen. And then Carey Price finally is delivering for Montreal what he needs to. Pretty fascinating to think that Carey Price, going into the second round, was the only player on any roster with an average annual value salary over $10 million. All the other top-paid players out of the playoffs. Right, and the first ever, Carey Price, the first ever $10 million-plus player to win a playoff series in the NHL. And I was going to ask you, because your three MVP candidates are all $10 million-plus players, McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, and none of them are in your Final Four. Well, when when you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and two of your players equate to one quarter of your salary cap... Mm -hmm. How are you going to have the depth? We, we we see what it's we see what it's taking for these teams that that are going deep and being able to do it. You you've got to have your guys like Joel Edmondson. You've got to have your guys like Pat Maroon. You know, and and we know in all sports that when you win championships, pay raises go up for people. So it is very difficult to keep them together long term unless you already had the majority of them under contract and you win as we talked about earlier in the show earlier in that window. And and to me. Uh, that's the key. And here's the thing. All of them, good guys, Mm -hmm. all of them know their role. They are all being used in essentially the same exact role that they were being used when they won the Stanley Cup, you know, and and it's working for them. And and so it's, I'm, I'm thrilled for all of them. I'm absolutely thrilled for all of them and the success they're finding. Meanwhile, the Blues know what it takes to win. Doug Armstrong, Craig Bruby know what it takes to win. And through attrition and injury and retirement, a lot of the elements that formed the the culture, the fulcrum of that Stanley Cup champion aren't here. There, it's one thing to trade Edmondson or have Petrangelo leave as a free agent, but Curbs... I don't think it can be overstated how important guys like Steen and, and Bo Meester were to the franchise. Uh, 
No, abs- absolutely right. So, okay, here, I'll start my random stream of consciousness here. All right, here we go. Uh, I think if you really look, and I'll pull it back to your comment right here. We- we've been asked and trying to figure out, okay, where are the Blues in the championship window, right? I think that if the Blues were more like the Chicago Blackhawks who won the three over the six years, but they won the first one and then the second one two years later, the LA Kings won their first one, then the other one two years later, the Pittsburgh Penguins won the back-to-back, right? But they won the back-to-back, right, several years after they won their first with Crosby, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to me, the Blues situation, similar to the Washington Capitals, right, um, has has been more where they won, had the Blues won the Stanley Cup, in 17, when they went to the conference finals against San Jose, to me, that's when you're looking at that win where you're winning it, where you've got all those guys still healthy and young. You have an impactful Steen. You've got a healthy Jay Bomeister, right? You've got a younger, you know, put, you know, Petrangelo. You've got a younger, even David Backus at that point in time became an unrestricted free agent after that year, that kind of thing. Uh, if you win it then, then you're in that window where maybe you're winning that one and one, and then two years later, you're winning the mm-hmm. other one. What happens after they the Chicago won the second one, L.A. won the second one, either you had to commit big contracts to guys, and in Chicago's case, they did, and then the Seabrook one ended up biting them a little bit, right? Or in L.A.'s case, you did as well, but then age caught up to them, and they've been in some cap hell for the last number of years, right? The Blues win kind of in that, that, that second window where those contracts were due and some hard decisions had to be made, and so that's why they're probably right now having to make those adjustments and back to where they're a piece. Only, I, I think they're only one or two pieces away from being right back in the thick of it. I agree with you. With, with, with all of them there. But to me, that's, I think, it took a while to try and figure out where in my head that that to me is where they sit in that window. And the interesting thing is, to me, the two elements are a Pat Maroon type player and a Joel Edmondson type player. Uh, well, I would actually say, I don't disagree with you there. I, I would say a Pat Maroon type player and then a top a top six left wing. Yeah, you do need a, a top And maybe six that comes player. in the same type of maybe. Maybe yeah. you get both of those guys in one player. Yeah, let's get Kachuk. You know, let's just yeah. get Matthew Kachuk and bring so, him home. So Calgary is in a real interesting situation here. Okay. Uh, Brad Trey Living made the decision to fire a coach. They brought in Daryl Sutter. Okay. When you're bringing in Daryl Sutter, just like when the Blues brought in Ken Hitchcock, and you're bringing in that coach. You're bringing that guy in to tell you exactly where some of your guys are. You know you're bringing in a coach that knows how to win. He's gotten it done, right? And and so that is the same thing when Doug Armstrong walked into the room after hiring Ken Hitchcock, said, mm-hmm. okay, I now know I have a winning coach. This one's on you guys. We're about to find out what the players are all about. Um, he ends up playing Matthew Kachuk about four minutes less a game. So it's, it's clear that Daryl Sutter's trying to find out you know, where Matthew Kachuk is and what, and, and what Matthew wants to do and wants to be. I'm not sure that Daryl's style is good for, in the NHL anymore with the way some of these players are. But Matthew Kachuk has one more year left on his contract. He then has one more year of service to the Calgary Flames or Calgary Hones before he's an unrestricted free agent. There is no way, in my opinion, there is no way that Matthew Kachuk gives up years of unrestricted free agency to extend in Calgary. I don't see that happening. I see he he comes from a family that knows the business of the Mm -hmm. game way too much too. And I can tell you, he loves playing in Calgary. He loves the hockey atmosphere in Canada, right? So this isn't any, this isn't anything against Calgary. This is the business side of it where you're going to be a 25, 26 year old kid going into free agency. Okay. That's different than being 29 or 30. 
So Calgary has a real tough decision to make here. The longer you wait, and it becomes clear that he wants to see where things go for agency, there's less value for him, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Brad Trey Living is going to find himself in a real interesting situation real soon. And we're going to get to Jesse Rogers of uh, ESPN Chicago in just a moment, but I want to make this point. There's a big difference. If you have a policy, if you, if you say we don't give no movement clauses, there's a big difference in a six or seven year no movement clause to a 25 year old as opposed to a 30 year old. Bingo. Bingo. There's, and, and, and by the way, I would never draw the line in the sand. Okay. The Buffalo Sabres did that when they were starting to really build and win. And in the same postseason, in the same off season, it cost them Chris Drury and Daniel Breer and that franchise slid because they had a policy of we don't do contracts during the season. And they're still at the bottom. I never draw a complete line in the sand. That's Curbs. I'm Randy. Coming up, Cards and Cubs this afternoon at Wrigley. Jesse Rogers of ESPN Chicago next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is on vacation. It's the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber with Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN. The Cards and Cubs starting a three-game series this afternoon at Wrigley Field. It's a 120 start. You'll see that game on Bally Sports. Milwaukee and the Cubs tied for first in the Central, three games ahead of the Cardinals. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. ESPN's Jesse Rogers kind enough to join us and talk some Chicago Cubs baseball. Jesse, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Headed to the park in a few minutes. It's going to be a glorious day, full capacity for the first time in a couple of years. So um, now those Cardinals are battle tested. I was going to say a, a, a team that's not used to seeing might be intimidated, right, by, by a, a sub crowd at 40,000. But not the Cardinals. They've, they've been there. They've done that. But uh, I guess no one's seen 40,000 in quite a while around here at least. I, listen, uh, as – as a radio guy, I, I'm I'm thrilled for John Rooney and Ricky Horton who got to travel with the team. So that's a great sign go. for all of us moving forward. The fact yep. that you're that it's full capacity there. The fact that when the Cardinals come back to Bush, you know, either it'll be full capacity. That that's a great sign for all of us. And Jesse, I have to think that um, when you talk to players as I have, as Randy has, is. There's a real appreciation for the return of the fans, and, and it is helping, I think, the overall level of energy and play around the sport. Yes, that's not just a cliche. Um, when they were drawing only 60%, that was the capacity up here in Chicago, it felt and sounded like 100%. That's how hungry fans are to get out and, and cheer on their team. It, it's been really playoff atmosphere around here. Now, I know that that can happen for a first-place team at any time, but this is like late May in the fourth inning and fans are on their, on their, on their feet. That I don't recall that happening a couple years ago. Um, you know, so I think that's pretty cool. It, it, the energy at 60% was amazing. I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like today. It's just going to be insane. And yes, the players absolutely feed off of it. It's just like night and day compared to last year. Jesse Rogers of ESPN Chicago with us on 101 ESPN. And Jesse, when we talked before the season started, it was a fait accompli that at the trade deadline, the Cubs were going to tear this thing down. Now here they are in first place. Do you think philosophically the Cubs thought process has changed because of the success they've had in the first couple of months? Definitely, definitely. And it's it, it changed even even more in the direction of, of thinking about October when Flaherty went down, to be honest. I mean, the Cardinals situation has really defined 
in some ways what the Cubs are going to do. Now, I'm not sure Jed Hoyer would come on the radio and admit it that directly, but I certainly can tell you that um, I think they, want, they, they see an opening here, right? It, it, they, they might feel internally it's a two-man race. Nobody wants the wild card. You're not going to push all your chips in for that one game, but if you think you can win the division and, and do something in October, you'll go for it. So I think the calculus changed when Jack Flaherty went down. My colleague Jeff Passon agrees with me. We've both kind of seen that. Um, so, yes, as of today, the, it's changed. But, you know, the trade deadline is not until July 31st. If the Cubs drop, I'd say as far as four or more out, it, it, it changes back to, okay, we might have to move some guys. But it, it's hard to imagine them falling uh, even four games out. I will say it's a very tough month the Cubs are in right now. Uh, so if they survive June, they, they will absolutely be buyers in July. The question then becomes how big a buyers? Do, do they push their chips all in? or do they work around the edges? That that remains to be seen. Well, the real challenge that this scenario has presented, Jesse, is the where we think we are as a franchise approach versus what the standings now present the opportunity to do. And the intriguing part for the Chicago Cubs, I would have to think, is that evaluation process. So who remains part of the team? How do you continue to build long-term versus take advantage of what's in front of you just this year? And, and I've and I've got to think that if you're the Chicago Cubs, you have to be real careful to all of a sudden change course. If you went in thinking one thing this year, to turn around, because if you make that wrong decision, you could be jeopardizing the next five or six years. 100% agree with you, and that is a tough call. Now, having said all that, I, I, you know, when they traded Darvish, it, didn't, it, it wasn't like they were left with a 65-win team. So they, I think they anticipated being in a similar position, maybe not in first, but very close to it. So it was always going to be a tough call. Um, but work backwards from this premise come July 31st. If you are in first place, you cannot sell. That would be, as one former executive put it to me, career suicide. You, just, you cannot do that in a major market. So if they're in first, the answer is is there for them. It's, it's made for Jed Hoyer. If they're in second and two games out, the answer is probably still made for them. It's more like if they're three and a half, four, four and a half, five, that's when it becomes a really tough call. And, of course, it's not just games back, but how, how many games over 500 are you? It's kind of a mediocre division. Are you are you 10 games over? Are you five? Are you 20? You know, that matters as well, how you look towards the comp- at the competition outside the division. So, yes, I agree with you, but it, it, the decision is made for you unless you're right there at that four-game mark out of first place. That's the one tough call. But I think they're going to be closer than that. They certainly have proven that so far. Jesse, Patrick Wisdom was a Cardinals first-round draft yeah. choice. They gave up on him a couple of years ago, moved him on to Texas, and now he's hitting three sixty-four <laughs> with eight homers for the Cubs in two weeks of play. What are you seeing from Patrick Wisdom? Well, don't throw him a fastball. That'd be part of my scouting report. He's... He, he, I mean, he's in a groove. It's going to, you know, he's going to come back down to earth. I don't think Cardinal fans should be losing their minds. Oh, what happened here? Now, if he does it for the next five years, then you say you missed out on something for sure. But I'm actually working on a feature on him, and there's no epiphany. There's no moment where it all came together. It was just, look, he could always hit. Maybe the opportunity didn't match up, you know, his hot streak, so to speak. Um, Every team could have had him for a couple years running. I mean, the Cubs DFA'd him last September and then brought him back in January. So um, it's not like they were completely sold on it. I will say, though, he had some, some um, chances overseas, and the Cubs told him, well, if you play in the States, you're going to play for us. So they did, they did have a commitment towards him, but, of course, it was a minor league one. Um, and he's playing great defense, too. So he has kind of displaced Chris Bryant at third, though Chris has been playing the outfield for a while. 
um, I think Wisdom's that third until further notice, for sure. He's just been great. And Cardinals just have a PTSD with a Rosarena and Adolis Garcia <laughs> sure. and Luke Voigt. We, we've got plenty of guys, uh, Sandy Alcantara, plenty of guys running around Major League Baseball that, that started with the Cardinals that are succeeding elsewhere. Yeah, and you guys could use some of those guys on the mound. Definitely. I mean, it is it is wow. I mean, you know, you had your bullpen problems before all the injuries, and now you had the rotation injuries. It's hard to imagine the Cardinals surviving. We've seen what happened during the streak. Uh, now, I, I should say at least short term. It's, now they could regroup. I've heard Bozelik and Schilt on some zooms. It, it's just going to take a little time. You just wonder how far out of the race they might fall. Um, it's going to be a tough task this weekend. Look, I'm not any Cub homer, but. Uh, it's gonna, and the Cubs have flaws. They don't even know who's pitching tomorrow. There's gonna be. It's. I just feel like the Cardinals right now need like a week to regroup, and you, you don't get that in the in the major league season. So we'll see how it plays out. You know, sometimes you step up, but when when times are the darkest, and the Cardinals certainly finally broke that streak. So maybe maybe they'll go the other way. We'll see. But I'm just telling you, nationally, like a lot of doubts about the Cardinals for probably for good reason. Well, listen, the Cubs may not know who's pitching tomorrow. The Cardinals know who's pitching. They just don't know what they're going to get out of a starting <laughs> right. pitcher. So I don't know if that's right. the same thing or not, having said that. Listen, in two thought, and by the way, folks, you can read Jesse Rogers at ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN. Jesse, in 2012, the St. Louis Cardinals turned over a defending World Series championship team to a guy that had not managed a game, but obviously a smart baseball man in Mike Matheny. He took the Cardinals to the World Series the next year, then they went to the championship series the following year, and he and he made the playoffs the first four years. So the Cubs decide to go to David Ross. Now, they were in a different spot. Maybe then the Cardinals were having just won the World Series. We were just talking about that evaluation process. How far and how how, in your opinion, so far have things gone with David Ross as the manager of the Chicago Cubs? Very well, very well. I would put him up with anyone else. I'm not saying he's the best or, or anything like that, but, you know, there's always a group of managers that you, that you look at and say, okay, I like that guy, right? I, I'd put Ross in that group, and he might be ascending towards one of the better ones in just a year and a half. He just has a way about him, having been around him as a player and now as a manager. He seemed to be, like, sort of born for this job. Um, he's managed his friends well. In fact, I think the friendships he has with Kimbrell and Hayward have come in handy when he's had to have tough conversations with them. So remember, that could be a detriment or it can be a plus to know, know these guys so well. I think, obviously, the Cubs have had nine, ten guys on the injured list and have succeeded with backups. That means the manager must be doing something right in, in creating an atmosphere for success for young players. I mean, they're on their third string, third baseman, and he is performing, Patrick Wisdom. Before that, it was Matt Duffy. He's been hurt. So um, I, I think those are some great signs. Like, can you keep the, sh- the, the, the train on the tracks through injuries and, and other things through COVID? They won a division last year. They're at, in first place now with 14 guys on expiring contracts. Think about that, all the distractions that can come with the trade deadline and free agency for Baez, Bryant, Rizzo. And he just keeps motoring along. I think he's, he's ascending in the National League as one of the better ones. Finally, Jesse Rogers, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about the manager across town. Tony Larusa has the White Sox 14 games over 500, four and a half up in the division. Has some of the heat on Tony dissipated? Yes, yes, it has. Now, having said that, the next time there's some big blunder or <laughs> Zoom call that goes wrong, it's going to heat up again. I love Tony. I'm like almost biased. Like, I just, I'm entertained by it. You know, take the fandom and emotion out of it. I just, He's brutally honest. He's self-deprecating. Um, 
you know, he's made some mistakes, but obviously the team is 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 got so many so much talent. It's not a big deal right now. They've they've weathered injuries as well, and they're in first place. They had another one yesterday. I mean, they're starting left fielder, center fielder, and second baseman all are out, and they keep on rolling. So, um, I, I think Tony's done fine. Um, his, uh, the way I put it to people, his mistakes are—he's uh, not making necessarily more mistakes than anyone else. They've just been very glaring. You know, when a reporter had to read a rule to him on the, on, on a post-game Zoom, that's a pretty glaring mistake. Um, when he had his closer run the bases, that's a pretty glaring mistake. <laughs> but uh, other than that. He's done well, and obviously the record speaks for itself. Jesse, you always bring great material to us. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend at Wrigley, and we'll continue to read and hear all of your great work out of Chicago. Absolutely. It should be a great weekend. Take care. Thanks, Jesse. Jesse Rogers in Chicago of ESPN does a great job and one of the great insiders for ESPN. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, We've got some mic drops, and we want some more texts. What was your favorite moment during the Blues Stanley Cup run two years ago? It's We Went Blues Day tomorrow. We're talking Blues Stanley Cup run today with Curbs and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The game is over. The series is over. The wait is over. And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history. And a text from the 314. My favorite part of the Stanley Cup run has to be Curb's final call because it wasn't official until then. And Curb's, you were saying during the break how cool it is to have people come up and tell you their memories of hearing that final call. And then, and then, you know, and then the, all the all the counterfeit posters and merchandise that's come out of the call. And the funny part is, is it's all in the, you know, that so many of them are in the shape of that Stanley Cup thing. And mm-hmm. I let people know this all the time. The majority of what is when when they when they put the whole call in that the shape of a Stanley Cup, the vast majority <laughs> of the body of the Stanley Cup is Joe Vitale. Oh, really? You know, and and I and I'm yeah. going to say this. I this listen, isn't a dream. Listen, yeah. Joe. Okay. First year ever in the broadcast booth, we win the Stanley Cup, right? And and for doing it the first time, he nailed he nailed two of the biggest calls ever. J- Joe Vitale's call and the analyst right after Pat Maroon scored that goal was as perfect as you could get. You can't get better. He nailed the maze like and 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 for folks, I'll take you inside the mind of a broadcaster here a little bit. And you've done enough play by play, Randy, to know this, like. You just hope that you have enough clarity in your mind to hit the important things. And for Pat Maroon to score that goal and for Joey to jump in with, you know, with game seven, number seventh, May seventh, seven on the rally, like he nailed it. You know, like, and so it was, it's pretty cool. But the majority, when you see the posters of different things of that call, was Joey. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. By the way, one other note about a Curbs analyst. This from the 314. My favorite moments of the year, hard to pick, but the thing that still sends chills down my spine, Kelly Chase's speech on the Jumbotron. I was at that game and still get goosebumps just thinking about it. And we actually played that before the Blues took on Colorado. And Emily and Michelle and I and everybody that was listening, we were all just so fired up. Chaser did an unbelievable job. And the Blues did an amazing job in 
writing that, producing it, and had the perfect delivery of it. Nobody made a mistake. Okay, th- this nobody made a mistake in this run. Okay, from from the the game production to coming up with that video, and it was Dan O'Neill Jr. So you know the the, the longtime St. Louis mm-hmm. sports writer Dan O'Neill, mm-hmm. right? Who I, you know, just still maybe. Maybe, and I realize some people argue, but in my opinion, just from just a pure talented best sports writer, Tano, and his Great. columns are right. Okay, it was his son that wrote that. So Dan O'Neill, who's in our mm-hmm. RPR staff, wrote that, and um, and then they got they got Kelly to do it, and then they grew that, and they had others, and they had Bobby on there, and and, and these things. Like, I, I just think back to that whole scenario, Randy, and there there just wasn't a mistake made along the way it was remarkable from top to bottom like it all it all seemed perfect didn't it and fit and like it, it, it just it fit. everything fit yep and we went blues day tomorrow the 2 year anniversary of the blues winning the stanley cup will air game 7 tomorrow at noon and the celebration includes a rebroadcast of the, the game. But We Went Blues Day also offers merchandise deals, a game-worn jersey auction, a virtual champion's walk, limited edition paintings, and more. Visit 101ESPN.com for more details on We Went Blues Day tomorrow. And Bally Sports, after we air the game on radio, is going to show the Stanley Cup Game 7 in their own words. That's tomorrow at 3. Let's get a mic drop from Andrew on 101ESPN. My favorite memory from the 2019 Stanley Cup run was my three teenagers that don't normally watch sports joining me to watch the last period and a half of Game 7. I'll never forget it. That was certainly a family affair. And for Game 7, Michelle was with her dad at the watch party at Enterprise. I was with my kids at home uh, watching on TV. It really was because... We went through a lot of suffering as Blues fans, as adults, and I think kids loved getting involved with the winning and experiencing that entire ride. Last year, I emceed the um, the biannual gala for Rossman School, where Christie's mm-hmm. a teacher, and one of the parents came up and said, I- "I'm not a, I'm not a, I- I've never been a huge hockey fan, but we got pulled in," and he said the the coolest thing that happened to him through that run was sitting like he sat with his daughters and watched every single game and they they knew earlier in the day it's game day we're going to watch the game together and the bonding moment he had with his his daughters right for that run i mean that's that's what it's all about that's what just, sports are those all about are just sweet stories aren't they yeah. just amazing here is alex with a mic drop hey guys this is alex and my favorite moment comes down to two of them it was attending Game Six of the Winnipeg series with Schwartz's hat trick, and it was watching Game Three of the Dallas series with my mom at the Blue Note, and where every time the Blues scored a goal, it seemed like I sp- spilt my drink on it. <laughs> thank you, Curbs, for filling in for Michelle, and thank you, Randy and Emily, for a great week. Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate you uh, tuning in on a regular basis. Again, mother-son, father-son, father-daughter, whatever it was, the family aspect to that championship are memories that you'll have forever. I I, I said this earlier, and I I don't mean this as a negative on on the other fan base here, okay? But just in in talking to people, there's, there's a personal closeness like, like that, that you that, that that blues fans feel to the blues that you, it 
it feels different than the other well, teams that we've had in town or have with the Cardinals. Like I know it's, and I'm not, I'm not knocking one. I'm not saying the passion's not there. It's just I, I don't know that. Just I have a hard time putting that one into words. But you just feel it when when somebody comes up and says, and, and it just tells you the story about the personal experience they had getting a stick from Barkley Plague or something yeah. like that. It's just Curbs, look at it this way too. Since 1926, if you have turned 25 in St. Louis, you've had a Cardinal championship of your own. Mm-hmm. Think of all, not just the, the, the losses in the playoffs, but the heartbreaking losses in the playoffs that we've endured, whether it was Kiprios hitting fewer or whether it was Pronger getting hit or whether it was the Iserman. Grit, right, the, the Iserman goal. Uh, the the 2016 chance where you had the Brian Elliott meltdown, the 2001 series against Colorado where Roman Turek melted down. 2003, you're up three games to one against the a Vancouver, Vancouver team, maybe the best right. one of the best teams the Blues ever had. And so yeah. we haven't endured, we had endured so much, and it was it was so exhilarating to finally win because we hadn't had the chance to experience that before. That's right. Let's hear now from our friend Lisa on 101 ESPN. Hey guys, those two months, what was amazing to me is I fell in love with the sport. I thought it was amazing. And being a crazy Cardinal fan, it was so fun to fall in love with the St. Louis Blues. Go Blues! See, and that's what winning does. That's winning the coolest breeds yes. fandom. I, um, I'm taking, I just told you the story. I'm taking Gabriella down to Raleigh to meet uh, a, a daughter of a friend of mine who she's been a pen pal with the last five years but has never met face-to-face in person. Last night they were FaceTiming, talking about what they wanted to do when we're down there for three days. They live in Raleigh. Peyton is, is, is 14, just, just like Gabby. And she said, she said that I am glued to the TV during the Hurricanes run. She goes, it is so much fun watching this sport. And and she's been into it. And they've known me long enough that they, you know, they, but but here, again, that's the, the playoffs in hockey can pull people in and make just passionate, rabid fans. Yeah, it, it can. It's unlike any other sport. Jonathan has a Rhino Shield mic drop for us. So like a lot of St. Louisans, I think I lived in a constant state of anxiety during the finals, even not on game days. And uh, game seven, uh, about noon that day, I started feeling really bad, and I ended up with a 103-degree fever that I gave myself from stress. Uh, I watched the whole game, sick, couldn't enjoy any adult beverages or anything, and then uh, the next morning I woke up and I was fine. But, hey, I'll take it for a cup. Hey, that is the great thing about sports is that the emotional toll can actually have a physical effect on you. And oh yeah, it, it, even if you lose, it goes away quickly. But for me, it's awesome that I can be so affected by something, something that in general is it, it's meaningless to the greater population, but it can mean so much to me and my community of fellow fans. Anytime you hear Gloria being played, mm-hmm. you know, like like that in and of itself, like like the, again the other perfect thing that just came became part of it because a couple guys met up with a buddy and they took him to a private bar in in, in right, Philadelphia, right. you know, Jack's <laughs> bar. I mean, just to, listen, we're getting a ton of texts on the uh, Air Comfort Service text line too. This is, the, I mean, j- just my favorite. Uh, my my favorite cup run game, the one where Schwartz scored late versus the Jets because uh, I love the call by J.K. and Panger. How over the top excited they were. I came down from Boston. We draped uh, 
I can't even read. We draped a, a blow of Stanley Cup on a Blues jersey and a side of my cup. Congo line to glory. My greatest memory was being in Savannah, Georgia, rooting on the Blues during Game Six and Seven. It was my sister's wedding and her fiance and family, and all. Uh, we're there. Uh, I was 58 years old, late third period, when I realized we were going to win. I cried in front of my wife and daughter. I cried when the Blues won that night. I was watching Game 7 at a house I was planning to buy with in a parking lot trying to listen to the Pat Maroon overtime winner. I was kidding around with people and told them that I had seats behind the glass during the playoffs. <laughs> this is the view from my patrol car as I was hiding <laughs> in a parking lot trying to listen to behind the game. Behind the glass. You know, like, like, again, like this is the, the responses we're getting on on the text line has, has, has just been fantastic and it should, which is yeah. why the St. Louis Blues decided to do We Went Blues Day and it's going to be and I know it's still close and, and we're still talking about that championship run but hopefully we get more chances where we're playing again on June 12th yeah right and it's also yeah. going to be a kickoff to some great things that the Blues do in the offseason as well which is what tomorrow is going to be all about and we'll do more of this coming up in about 15 minutes as we close uh, close down the show. I do have one little aside. You, you know the blue shoes that I bought accidentally, yes. right? That I wore yeah. for the playoff run. That you brought accidentally? Uh, yeah, I put them on Facebook, and I thought, yeah, yeah what the heck? They were like nineteen bucks. I said, what, well, it wasn't an accidental buy. It was right. Yeah, but I had completely forgot. I ordered them in like February. Oh, and you forgot. <laughs> and they show up on the first day of the Winnipeg series. So I put them on. I wore them, and grant the Blues win the first two, right? And then they come home. I don't wear them to the building, to the rink, and they lose two. I'm driving Katie, my daughter, back to Bradley the night of game five, and the blues fall behind. And I don't have my blues. I just have regular shoes on. But my blues shoes are in the back seat for whatever reason. We stop in Springfield for gas. I put my blues shoes on, and the blues come back. It's unbelievable. Okay, again, it was just perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. It was, it was just, we closed down in Boston, right? Um, there, there's a great – in the north end, it's called Monica's Trattoria, and we got to know Frankie and Pat, two of the brothers that own it. And they, we, we learned the story, of the family story of Monica. Now, they're a huge Boston bar. I took my father-in-law, who came in for, for the games because he lives in Pittsfield, Mass., right? And, I, and we took him in there, and, and, and Louis DeBrusque was with his son Jake eating dinner. But these guys treated us so great. And Bernie Federico looks at these guys at, at one point. I mean, and, and they're, they're they're grabbing their iPad and they're playing all the different versions of a song, Gloria, that are out there. And they had fun with it. And Bernie says, man, we love you guys so much. And if, when we come back, right, we, when we in the cup, we're bringing it here. And these guys looked at him and goes, don't you dare. And they got the hard Boston accent. We're like, we, we appreciate it. We love it. We love the fact that you guys are here, but we're a Boston fan. You cannot do that, don't you dare. And they start chirping at Bernie. And, and, and I'll never forget it. Frankie just, Frankie just looks at him and he goes, he goes, hey, we're not friends if we're not busting balls, all right? We're not friends if we're not busting balls. And so every night that we were in Boston, we either had dinner there or we finished there, and it's one of my greatest memories of that run. Fantastic. That's Curbs. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They sell the most, so you can save the most. If you've missed any part of the show with Curbs and I today, you can always hear it. Brought to you by I Promise. You can listen to our podcast at 101ESPN.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. And again, thanks to our friends at I Promise. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. All right, uh, Curbs, let's start with this. 
Adam Wainwright was the stopper the other night for the Cardinals. Six-game losing streak. He's the stopper. He seems to be the guy that when they have a losing streak is the pitcher that wins the game when the losing streak comes to an end. So you said on Twitter that Adam Wainwright is the ace and you're getting some... And I left no doubt about it, too. Yeah. I put fact. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're getting some blowback from Listen, Cardinal Nation. I'm going to make this very simple for people. Sports is not hard. We like to overcomplicate it, but sports is not hard. Okay? You're going up against the Chicago Cubs. Do you have any real confidence in what you're going to get from Oviedo, Gant, or Martinez over the next three games? Not really. None. None right now. Okay? But you know what you're going to get from an effort and fight and battle standpoint and the able to, the ability to get yourself out of a pickle and Adam Wainwright. Does it always go the way? No, it doesn't with his age and all that. But having said that, it Adam Wainwright right now is the ace of the pitching staff. First off, Jack Flaherty isn't healthy. You may not have him back until August, and, and, and that's if he's if he recovers from that oblique injury. All right? And look, Jack Flaherty was getting the starts, the role of the ace. Yes, everything was good there. And you're putting him in those positions to become the ace. And you're hoping that over the course of this season, you see the consistency that gives you the confidence that he is the ace. But to be the ace, you have to have the confidence of the, 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 the team. So not only... It's not coincidence that Adam Wainwright took the mound after that losing streak and that some of the bats came alive in that game because the players on the field also have confidence. That's part of it. You can try to argue it's this all you want. Adam Wainwright is the ace of the Cardinals pitching staff right now. That's all I said. So for the Zach Giffords out there that are trying <laughs> to sit there and say you're stupid, you don't know, uh, for the for the Knicks out there, and this is my favorite one. So when we were talking earlier about the, the mental capacity, the mental mm-hmm. mind frame of Jaime Garcia and Carlos Martinez, you know, Nick fires this up that says uh, that, that take was just gross and wrong. L- listen, listen to me on this. When Dave Duncan, the pitching coach of the St. Louis Cardinals, came on the air with his son Chris, right, and Anthony Stalter years ago and told the story of how Jaime Garcia was thrown off because his room service was late. His whole day Okay, was so, off. Nick, I, I, I don't know how to help you other than give you the fact, but I can't, I mean, I can't, I can lead you to the water. Only you can drink from it, and my guess is in the heat of the desert, you'd be too dumb to drink from the water, right? Because you'd think it's a mirage even if your hand feels wet because it's in it. Okay, they, they they don't. And if you watch the body language, if, if you know sports at all, and you watch the body language of Carlos Martinez, it's between his ears. This, you know. is, this isn't hard. So I, I apologize that the truth and reality fires some of you all up, but I'm, I'm not sure, Randy, how anything I just said there is even debatable. It's really not. Speaking of aces, Garrett Cole, the Yankees ace, was asked the other day whether he used spider tech, had ever used spider tech to to handle the ball. And his response essentially was, humana, humana, humana. And yesterday, <laughs> he was asked why he hesitated when asked a yes or no question. I hesitated yesterday on the specificity of the question because I just don't think this is the forum to discuss you know those kinds of those kinds of things. Like I, I, I mentioned in you know answer to Lindsay's question that there's appropriate time for players to discuss those things, and I'll keep it to that forum. You want to talk about Major League Baseball hanging its players out to dry? This is shameful. 
Like this, this really is. Major League Baseball knows it's being done. They've let it go. They have, they have known that players have been cheating and they have allowed it. Same thing with the steroid era. Okay, and look, no one's. The bottom line is, if you're, if look, it's cheating. It's it's against the rules and, and save me the argument of everybody does it and all this other stuff, Randy. I understand I understand that part of it. But if you're major league baseball, either adjust the rules to make it a non issue or come out and, and take care of it. I, I think it's brutal the way that they're basically just hanging all these pitchers out there to dry and, 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 and their product out there to dry. And 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 I don't disagree, by the way, with Garrett Cole that I'm not sure a post game press conference is where you address that. But then at the same time, if you're Garrett Cole, then I'll tell you what, here's what I'll tell you. Then you pick the forum, you pick the time, and then let's address it. But somebody asked you the question and you didn't answer it, which means you know you're doing it. Yeah, you are. Uh, Meanwhile, Curbs, Julio Jones traded to the Titans. And last year, he only played in nine games. And his feeling is... R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. Here's what Julio says about those who think that he's running low on fuel. He's done an awesome job being a good mentor. And he brings great energy. And Brian and Jarrett um, have done a good job helping me in the film room. And um, all three of them just watch their reps and learn as much as, much as I can. You, know, you don't have to be in, the, in, in on that play to learn. So I just have to figure out how to do that. And I've been getting a lot better just watching tape and learn how to do that. And they've helped me in that regard. Really, we're just coming in every day. I mean, there's four guys in total and you know i'm the rookie so i'm just learning from them um and they're all they've all been very nice to me uh treating me very well and you know i'm just trying to help them out as best i can too whatever i can do that's actually mac jones rather than julio jones talking about his it's a very support. common last name it is yeah <laughs> the support that he's getting from the other quarterbacks in the patriot room. why don't i why don't i relate it to uh to one of my all-time favorite sports quotes that you, I know, will be very familiar with, okay? When the football Cardinals sent Roy Green to the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. One of the all-time great lines. And Roy Green gets asked, right? When Roy Green gets asked, have you lost a step? His response of maybe, but I had one to give. (laughs) And he was still good. (laughs) Right. And then two other quick ones, Curbs. How great are Lula Morello and Barry Trotz? Okay, this I I am so I we didn't even talk about this, but I'm so glad you asked about this. Um, I think Lou Lamorella has been great and actually and and also awful for the game of hockey yeah, in absolutely. his career. And yep. here's why: um, from a hockey acumen standpoint, I'm not sure that there's been anybody greater from a general manager aspect of things. From a standpoint of it was his choke-it-off trap style of play that really drug the game into the mud for a long time. That wasn't good for the game. On top of the fact that he never believed, like, he, he, he wouldn't let his players talk to media. He had such a tight fist there. The marketing aspect and the grow the game thing. As good as the New Jersey Devils were with Martin Brodeur, everybody was missed out in seeing the, the personality of Marty Brodeur, and they should have been and drawn even mm-hmm. much better than they ever did. That's the negative side of Lou Lamorella. Having said that, what they've done with the New York Islanders is spectacular. Barry Trotz uh, has, I, I don't forget how many years now it's been where it's at least a, a, to round two of, of the Stanley Cup playoffs. 
the the Washington Capitals made a massive stupid mistake in not re-signing Barry Trotz, and and the it's been to the benefit. I mean, to, for them to do what they've done and have been competitive from the day they lose their superstar in John Tavares. And another key to this is Mitch Korn. Mitch Korn is their goaltending coach. Mitch Korn was the goaltending coach for Dominic Hasek, right? And then and then he was with from the Buffalo Sabres, then he went to the Nashville Predators. He had guys like Thomas Volkun, you know, in, in Vesna conversations. Mitch Korn is one of the greatest underrated goalie coaches. I'm biased because I know him a little bit, but I'm telling you, he's been that good. And look, everywhere he has gone... He has done something with the goaltenders. Goes to Washington with Barry Trotz, right? And Braden Holpe's in Vesna conversations. They win, and look what's going on now in, with the New York Islanders. You know, and, and you're never hearing the New York Islanders goaltenders being talked about the top yep. of the heap, right? And yet look what they're doing. That, that's an amazing management tandem. And finally, Curbs, how often did we hear, okay, it was Breeze versus Rodgers. It was Brady versus Manning in basketball. Right now we're hearing uh, Booker versus Nicola uh, in hockey. We hear the great matchups. Shouldn't MLB Network be spending their day talking about the fact that Jacob deGrom is facing the Padres and Fernando Tatis Jr. tonight? Absolutely. I mean, shouldn't they just be marketing the daylights out of that matchup? That that should be on the front burner of everything and making sure everybody is able to tune into it. Must watch TV. Absolutely must watch TV. So let's... They'll miss the boat because it's a West Coast team that's involved. Yeah, it's a shame because you're two, well, your most prolific starter and your most prolific and well known right now position player. That is, you're killing me, Smalls. And Emily, yes. I was going to say, they do have it in a teeny little box in the corner. Oh, yeah, they do. A teeny box. But, but that's not, that's like, I mean, that's that's the premier matchup in sports today. I yeah. know, I'm just saying it's in a teeny yeah, box. Yeah, teeny tiny yeah. box on MLB Network. By the it way, is. I was watching the, uh, the, the Padres game the other day. Um, I I think Don Orsillo is just one of the great, great TV broadcasters out there. Like I know I know he did some TNT stuff, but they've they've got that man. They've got that great mix of game, but entertainment and fun and humor. And watching watching that local broadcast the other night was just fantastic. Yeah, and for him to be able to do Tatis is great. That's Curbs. I'm Randy. We're going to head down the stretch here towards Scoops with Danny Mac, the Danny Mac Show, featuring BK next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Tomorrow is We Win Blues Day, the two-year anniversary of the Blues clinching the Stanley Cup. Celebration includes a rebroadcast of Game 7 beginning at noon here on 101 ESPN. Also, offering merchandise deals, a game-worn jersey auction, a virtual champion's walk, limited edition paintings, and more. Visit 101ESPN.com for more details on We Went Blues Day tomorrow. And we also want you to have the opportunity to win some tickets, a pair of long tickets to see Shine Down, along with Seether, Bad Flower, and many more at Point Fest, September 19th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Through today, you can get lawn or select reserve seats for just $19.95 plus fees for Point Fest featuring Shine Down. Find all the ticket info and get entered to win free tickets right now at 101ESPN.com and on your 101 ESPN mobile app. And you can get Shine Down tickets from us right now. All right, here's what you have to do text 65780 with the player who scored the final goal for the Blues in game seven. And here's a little hint. It'll be texter number 
12 that gets the tickets. The last player to score in Game 7 for the Blues, the person who gets it right, the 12th texter who gets it right, gets the tickets to Shinedown and Point Fest coming up in September, September 19th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Greek Fire, I think, is playing as part of Point Fest. Too, oh, yeah, right? that's yeah. one of Lux's favorites. That's great. Yep. And don't forget, also, next Wednesday, June 16th, Dunctionary Day at the Ballpark at the Budweiser Brewhouse at 12-15, a game against the Marlins. You can join us on the Bud Deck and enjoy the game. A few reserved t- tables are still available. You can grab one and get your tickets that include a hot dog, a beer, and a Dunctionary shirt. Get them at 101ESPN.com. And a portion of every table purchased is being donated to the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. We'll be broadcasting BK and Ferrario in the fast lane from 11 until 6. We'll be there. Get all the Dunctionary Day details now at 101ESPN.com. I think it's really special and awesome what 101 has done on the Chris Duncan front and shows like how for a guy that... You know, did didn't speak a lot from a media standpoint when he was a player. You know, and, and I teased him a little bit about this. Me interviewing him once before a game in Pittsburgh uh, to, to the personality that they saw in the clubhouse that we were finally able to see when he when he jumped into the media and started doing shows with Anthony was, was pretty special. So I think I think it's just awesome we that, that we keep his memory going that way. And we do that with yeah. uh, Chris Duncan Day every year. Curbs, it has been awesome working with you. I always enjoy it. And uh, thanks it's been for fun, coming Randy. In. Thank you. Nope, glad to do it. And have a great rest of the summer. We'll talk to you soon. And we're gonna. We're we're actually going to get out and play golf together Yes, soon. we will. But uh, have a great day. Thanks. Great uh, th- thanks for having me. Emily, always great working with you. Thank you for all the help. Yeah, you as well. Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. You have a great weekend, too. Thanks, you too. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. For all of us until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.